battle is back. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host, and Sean Carey Tattoo, your co-host. We're going to be talking UFC 205, Conor McGregor versus Eddie Alvarez. The time is finally here, and uh, we're about to make uh, fight predictions great again. So what's up, Sean? Uh, UFC 205, is this a big card? Is there names on this card? I've never heard of this. you got to tell me about it, Daniel. Well, I heard a rumor that uh, Caitlin Chukagian was fighting Liz Carmouche, so Ooh, if, if that's, that's what you mean by right big there. names, then That's I, the main event, right? Yeah, I think we tune into the right spot, man. But, you know, we've been waiting a long time for Conor McGregor to finally challenge for two belts in two separate weight classes. And uh, off the top of my head, I don't believe that it's been attempted since UFC 94 when BJ Penn attempted to, uh, you know, get that, uh, that welterweight strap against GSP. Was that the last time it happened, Sean? I, yeah, as far as I know, that's the only time, right? Well, uh, I, I think you're no. correct, man. I mean, I know Randy yeah. Couture held two belts in two separate weight classes, and so did uh, BJ Penn, but to do it simultaneously, yeah, it's never been done before, but it was attempted at UFC 94. It's about to be attempted here at UFC 205, and we're going to get to the main event here in a little bit. But first up, we got the Fight Pass featured prelim. Tiago the Pitbull Alves. He's minus 160. The comeback on Jim Miller is plus 140. Now, uh, Sean, do you remember back at UFC 85 when uh, Tiago Alves, you know, he couldn't make weight at 170. He was fighting Matt Hughes, you know. Word on the street was that uh, when he would piss, it would burn a hole in the ground. And, you know, uh, the dude, there was no chance that dude could have made 155. And now he's, no. uh, you know, some things have changed in the sport, new regulations. Now he's dropping to 155. But he's taking on Jim Miller at a good time in his career. You know, Jim Miller, even though I believe he's on a two-fight win streak, you know, he pounded out Gomi, he beat Joe Lozon by decision. and uh, Boo. But with that being said, you know, Jim Miller has been slowing down. You know, he was known as the toughest guy in that division for the longest time. You know, you could never submit him. You could never knock him out. Now, he's, since then, he's been submitted and knocked out. So, uh, you know, it's a matter of how this weight cut is going to go for Tiago. How is he going to look at 155? Obviously, back in the day, you know, UFC 90, when Tiago Alves landed all those huge leg kicks on Josh Koscheck, stuffed his takedowns. I mean, that was the prime pitbull. And I got to say, man, it's not like he's looked that bad in some of his losses. You know, the fight against Campman, I thought he was looking good until he shot for that ill-advised takedown. Even the fight with Condit, until he got cracked with that big elbow, he was doing his thing with the leg kicks. So... Is he going to be fine at 55? Here's my thing. If the old pit bull that was jacked out of his mind tried to drop, you know, no chance. But this guy who's, who has lost a lot of muscle mass, he actually probably is going to make 55 fine. Now, you know, a lot of people know that he's been with Dolce for a long time. But word on the street is that he's changed to perfecting athletes. I really don't know much about them, but I've heard good things. So assuming that he shows up healthy, he can win this fight. But make no mistake about it, Jim Miller can catch him with a submission. He's been known to jump for the guillotines out of nowhere. He can take your back expertly. So if he hangs in here, he can get it done. But based on skills, I'm going to go with Tiago Alves here, Sean. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I'm going to go Tiago Alves too. I think I talk about this every single time Jim Miller fights. But the turning point in Jim Miller's career was when he got kicked in the body by Cowboy and acted like it was a nut kick, right? You remember that? I think you oh, you yeah. at least remember that I mention it every single time this fucking guy's name comes up. That that was the obvious, wow, I'm not Jim Miller anymore moment. You know what I mean? And, and maybe this uh, getting diagnosed with Lyme disease thing, you know, who knows what that's really responsible for, but if Jim Miller goes, oh, man, I just sucked for a couple years straight because I had Lyme disease, and now I know I have it so I can deal with it, so maybe I'm not going to suck anymore, 
you know, sometimes if you convince yourself of that, that's all the that that that's all that needs to be done to make it real. You know what I mean? So maybe that's that's a thing now. Um, but to me, uh, Jim Miller lost that Lozon fight. He's he's he doesn't have any of the signature things that he used to have that made him good, which was toughness, cardio. You know what I mean? Like those things are gone. The ground game is still good. The hands are still decent, but really. It, we're talking about a middle of the pack guy without those intangibles, without that toughness. Um, and uh, you know, that's where he stands now. Uh, Tiago Alves on the other hand. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's the weight cut. Uh, one of my angles definitely that I do not like is a late career weight cut. And if you're a huge guy who doesn't look like you could ever touch this weight class and now you're here and you're at the end of the road, <clears throat> that's a bad sign. Usually I think, um, I've seen a couple pictures of him, and I've heard other podcasts and, and other fighters talk about how good he looks, how lean he looks, and stuff like that. So, you know, if he really is feeling good, he could he could look good. The skills are still there. The speed still looked okay last time he fought. Um, the reflexes didn't seem gone. He could still pull the trigger. Uh, uh, against me, and he he took a beating and was semi resilient. Uh, that's a while ago now, but that's that's a good sign too. Um, I have a feeling about this weight cut that he's going to approach this 55, but he's going to come in a little long. He's going to give up 20% of his purse, probably like the 158, something like that, you know, which at fight time, he's going to be a welterweight. And I don't think that Jim Miller gets up as high as welterweight on, on fight night, but I think he's going to be fighting a big fucking Tiago Alves, uh, you know, minus 20% of his money, but he's going to be there and he's going to be big. Um, he needs to throw leg kicks. He needs to not give up takedowns. He needs to put him against the cage, put him in the clinch, land some knees. And if Lozon can clinch you and, and dirty you up a little bit and then eventually get a takedown, uh, Alves doesn't need to take down, but he can definitely clinch you and dirty you up a little bit. So I, I see, uh, Tiago Alves getting a, a late stoppage here, maybe late second, early third. Next up, we got a welterweight bout between Bilal, remember the name, Muhammad. He's minus 165. The comeback on Vicente Luque is plus 125. And, man, I got to tell you what, this is a great matchup between two up-and-coming prospects in the welterweight division. I mean, Bilal Muhammad, what I really enjoy about watching his fights is, you know, obviously in the Alan Juban fight, he showed a lot of heart, but that's usually not the kind of fight that Bilal gets into. You know, that was the first time I've ever seen him get dropped. But hey, he reacted great. And then he came back and won that third round big time by putting the pressure on Alan Juban. But what Bilal's known for is, man, his hand fighting is so good, man. Like, he'll grab your wrist out of nowhere, throw a big elbow. He establishes his jab. The head kicks come out of nowhere, mixes it up to the body. I really like how Bilal Muhammad fights at his own pace. He slows the fight down, and he's able to either stop you late or win the decision. That's what he's known for. And with Vicente Luque, man, not only does this kid have a lot of experience, but he's really been developing lately. I mean, first of all, two Dars chokes in a row, I believe it was. Actually, what happened, Sean, was his fight against Hader Hassan, he got an Anaconda, and his fight against Alvaro Herrera, he got a Dar. So he got he got one of each. And then the next fight against Hector Urbina, he knocked him out in the first minute, and he knocked him out cold. So that, to me, is a sign of improvement. Obviously, back in the day, he beat Tiago Mahetta Santos, 
via TKO in the first round. This kid has a lot of experience. He knows what it's like to lose and come back, and so does Bilal. So now it comes down to who's going to show up on fight night. Obviously, Bilal has had a full training camp. He was getting ready for Lyman Good, who's a very tough opponent as well. We don't know what kind of shape Vicente Luque is coming in, but I assume he's going to be in great shape because the guys that train at the Black Zillions, they train year-round. So I'm expecting Vicente Luque to show up in this spot. But I'm going to go with Bilal Muhammad here. No bet, but uh, I think Bilal is going to pull it off. Late TKO or unanimous decision, Sean? Yeah, I I agree. I think uh, Bilal is going to win this as well. I think this could look a lot like the Juban fight. Like early, Luke could put it on him, maybe even land a big shot. Maybe, you know, hey, what do we really know about Muhammad's sub defense in all reality? There's well, not much, right? He hasn't really been tested in that area, but one thing that we do know is he's training with the right people to address an area like that. I mean, Daniel Wanderlei, unbelievable black belt, and then obviously Ben Askren and Tyron Woodley for the wrestling. So as far as I've seen, he's got that area of his game covered, Sean. Yeah, that's that's a little bit scary because uh, Luke is explosive in, in that department. But the way that I would compare this to the Juban fight is, is early when... You know, Muhammad's pace is a hindrance and a help at the same time. That pace in the first round, oh, this guy's getting off to a slow start. He's kind of feeling it out a little bit too much. But he's still coming forward, and he's still pressuring you. The the part where that pace is good, in the third, he's still doing that to you. And you don't, hey, that's not a slow pace to you anymore. He just put this solid pace on you for three, and he's not backing off at all. So... So Juban, a battle-tested guy, no doubt, a uh, tough, experienced guy who's, who's fought some actual names, uh, had trouble in the third, but he got out of it, and he had built up a big enough lead. I don't expect Luke to build up that kind of lead that Juban had, and I also don't know how Luke is really going to react when that pace is still on him in the third you know, he's not been in that truly battle-tested situation yet. You know what I mean? And he's going to be in it this time because, you know, we just talked about the sub-defense. That's one thing. But as far as landing a cannon blast on him, he's not going to hit him harder than Juban did. And, and, and Juban hit him real hard a couple times. And as the fight went on, he, he seemed to have hit him with the same kind of power that dropped him earlier and it wasn't dropping him anymore. This, and you got to remember that was on, on the uh, Ramadan thing and the short notice and holy shit, that was bad. So yeah, this guy's tough and he's a cold fish. He's just following you, working at that own pace, working that jab, has a solid boxing game. He just needs to be a little bit urgent, uh, more urgent when he's behind. Uh, I think he does that. I think he gets out of round one good enough to still be himself in round two, win round two, and in round three, we'll see what Luke is really about because Muhammad's still going to be there. Now, Sean, I've been waiting for this moment for a very long time. Khabib Nurmagomedov, he's minus 280. The comeback on Michael Johnson is plus 240. Now, going into Michael Johnson's last fight, you know, my assessment of him was that, you know, he slowed down a lot. You know, you watch the fight with Darius, you watch the fight with Diaz, and that wasn't the same fast Michael Johnson that, that we've known for all these years. So then I heard that he had a torn labrum, he had surgery, and that's why in the Poirier fight, all of a sudden, that looked like the old Michael Johnson. So if this is a refreshed and new Michael Johnson, watch out, man, because, I mean, he's always been known as one of the fastest guys at 155 pounds. I mean, they call him Blackie out for a reason. His hands... 
You know, the hand, that, that hand speed is serious, man. And I mean, it's 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 basics too. You know, nice little one two three, nice little two three two. What he what he's really known for is, so he circles around the ring, nice little side to side movement, good southpaw, fires off a leg kick, fires off a jab. Then once you start to charge him, that's when he lets the three punch combo go. And you know, usually you can't see it. Expert strikers such as Edson Barboza cannot see it. Now uh, with Khabib Nurmagomedov. Look, man, before USADA and back in his prime, I mean, that this dude was one of the baddest 55ers in the game. What's so cool about him is that, you know, he's never been the most technical guy, but he knows how to turn up in the middle of a fight. You know, you watch that fight with Rafael Dos Anjos, and, uh, you know, at first, they're fighting at Rafael's pace. Then Khabib's like, you know what, I'm going to double up on the overhand right, and then I'm going to charge him with a blast double and take him down, and that's exactly what he did. But he's been plagued with injuries his entire career. The last time he fought a high-level competitor was April 2014. Since that time, Michael Johnson has competed against the likes of Edson Barbosa, Benil Dariush, Nate Diaz, and Dustin Poirier. I mean, that's high-level competition, Sean. And also, Michael Johnson has an 81% takedown defense just behind Edson Barbosa and Ally Kinta. So that's the kind of statistic you need when you're going into a fight against a guy like Khabib, and especially catching him with some rust. You know, he's only had, what, seven minutes of fight time in the last uh, two to three years? That's going to be against a, a jobber. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Against a jobber. That's going to be a big factor here, man. And, uh, with Johnson, you know, I mentioned the 81% takedown defense. He hasn't been taken down since his loss to Miles Jury. I believe in the Reza Madadi fight, what happened was, you know, and this is an old Michael Johnson, not the guy that we know today, was I believe he actually shot for a takedown, then he got dark. So I don't think it was uh, him getting taken down. But the last time he truly got taken down was the Miles Jury fight. I mean, dude, that's when fucking Chris Liebman fought Derek Brunson. That was so long ago. People evolved. And since that time, like I mentioned, Edson Barbosa, Benil Dariush, Nate Diaz, Dustin Poirier, these are the kind of guys that he's been competing against. And he's been competing at a very high level. A lot of people thought he won the Dariush fight. The Nate Diaz fight was very close. And then obviously he went out there and finished a guy like Dustin Poirier, who was looking better than he's ever looked at 155 pounds. So I believe this is a situation where we're going to catch Khabib at the right time no one is exempt from that first UFC loss. I say it every single episode of the show. Rashid Magomedov wasn't exempt last week, and Khabib Nurmagomedov's not exempt this week. And listen, if it was plus 150, okay, you know, I'd still take the shot, but that's a little more reasonable. Plus 160, okay. Plus 185, all right, sure. Plus 240, that's a slap in the face to the number five guy on planet Earth. When you're number five in the deepest weight class in the UFC and you're a plus 240 underdog, that's complete disrespect. Now, I know someone's going to be like, oh, you're breaking this fight down by putting a number next to his name? I mean, look, man, I mentioned his great takedown defense. And you know what I like about his takedown defense, Sean? It kind of reminds me of Aldo's takedown defense in the fa in the sense that it's not just a simple sprawl. It's the kind of takedown defense where he turns the corner and uh, cuts yeah. an angle. And, and you go past him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's a yeah. very speedy takedown defense. And uh, what I think is going to happen is, I don't know if you recall that first takedown that Khabib Nurmagomedov shot against that jobber, Horcher. If he shoots like that, man, he's going to get, you know, I was waiting for Horcher to throw some punches, but then I realized, oh, you know, it's, it's you know, no disrespect to Horcher, but listen, man, he's not a top 10, he's not top 5, he's not a top 25 lightweight, you know what I mean? He's, he's you know, he's what we like to refer to as a jobber, and uh, he wasn't able to return with any punches. You know who's going to be able to return with, a, you know, with punches and bunches? I think Michael Johnson's the guy to get it done, man. Obviously, I'm worried if he gets taken down. But at the same time, it's not like he just gets submitted right away. He has been able to get back up to his feet in fights. 
and uh, I think Khabib's gonna slow down drastically. His uh, knee surgeries might, uh, you know, his wear and tear might be showing here in full display, and I have to take advantage of this opportunity. So I got one unit on Michael Johnson right now, but uh, man, I might put three units on it. You know, I need to sit back and wait, you know, make sure that uh, Michael Johnson's showing up, you know, that he's ready to go, feels like uh, his back's up against the wall, because in that Dustin fight, I mean, he said he was fighting with desperation, man, and that, you know, this is his career on the line. As long as he's got that same mindset, which I don't see why he wouldn't, I mean, he jumped straight back into another camp. That means he entered this fight camp in perfect shape, whereas Khabib, you know, dealing with all the injuries, he had to work his way back into shape, so... Yeah, man, I think uh, I think MJ is about to put him down, dude, and end the hype train, hand him his first defeat, and uh, cash a plus two forty underdog bet, Sean. Yeah, I I agree with you. I've I've always okay. <sighs> Khabib's wrestling is is indisputable, right? It's it's relentless. He knows what the fuck he's doing. He can get you down in all kinds of ways, trips, throws, just you know your basic double. Like he can just get you and number of ways and it's it's real but we've seen glace and tebow turn it back over and over again granted glace and tebow is is a fucking brick you know what i mean like michael yeah, johnson I, knocked I, him out yeah there you go so it's not you know he's not like a force of nature you know what i mean he's he's injured all the time he's he's sure as shit rusty he didn't look great against Horcher, in, in, in my opinion. His ground and pound is, is just not really there. You know what I mean? Like, he's, I don't know. He just gives you too many chances. Yeah, a high-level guy. He's going to give a high-level guy too, man, too many chances and too much time to stick around for something to go wrong for him. Um, the, the striking is definitely sloppy, right? His head is definitely in front of his front foot all the time. He's, his hands definitely come down to his waist after he's done throwing all the time. And, and what it is is just the other guy's fear of a takedown. The other guy not exploiting those holes because they're gearing up to stop the takedown. And Michael Johnson, I think, can avoid that just by footwork, like the kind of takedown defense that you were talking about, the kind where he's moving and you go past him, you know what I'm saying? Or he's leaving you something that he wants you to take so he can do something to you and then limp leg out of it. Something like that. Like it's, there's brains there. He's, he's smart, but the, the biggest gap in this fight is hand speed and probably even power too. the hand speed is lightning and it's always in combination and he's he's smart with it it's it it is the right setup like you said it is a one two three or a one two three two like it is specifically boxing it's good um i think that he can use his footwork to get khabib off balance when the takeoff when the takedown comes and he's off at an angle and then he gets the throwback does he land every time uh i don't know does it get sloppy and they bump into each other and the combo doesn't really come off because it's it's back to fighting off a takedown maybe but if you do that enough times if you do that enough times that pretty combination that he landed on poirier that kind of thing that's the kind of thing that can land we don't really know if Khabib can take that. You know what I'm saying? Like, not only have we not seen him have to deal with it, but he's never fought a striker that's that's where Michael Johnson is right now, in my opinion. So, like you said, price, 
the price is right here. The price is right here to really find out, to, to find out a, a, a guy with all the talent in the world who's on a hot streak, who has the right tools to beat Khabib versus what we already know about Khabib. And what we really actually only know about Khabib is that the wrestling is fantastic. We haven't seen him really deal with the adversity yet. We, we really haven't seen what his chin is like yet. You know, what happens when he's definitely not winning the fight? I think we find that out this Saturday. I think Michael Johnson exposes Khabib. And I like that number too, and I bet it as well. Now here's the big question. Is it going to get even better, man? I mean, because look, plus 240 is already completely ridiculous, but the hype on Khabib is absolutely insane, man. I mean, people worship this guy. So you think there's a chance we can get a nice plus 2-5 on here? Well, that one kind of doesn't matter to me because I took MJ by, uh, I took him inside the distance because I think if this, no doubt he can, he can hit and repeatedly hurt Khabib and not get him out and win a decision. Sure. That can happen. But in all likelihood, in my opinion, if this goes three, it's because Michael Johnson ends up on his back and, uh, you know, we didn't, I, I didn't just talk about this two seconds ago but michael johnson if he does if khabib does get inside and does manhandle him for for a round and a half straight and it grinds him down to a nub the last round and a half of this fight is probably going to be khabib on top so to me this fight going the distance is probably going to be a loss for michael johnson so i think michael johnson if he's going to win it's going to be inside the distance so that's that's what i took so that's plus three something something so i'm i'm not worried about where the price goes from here i mean i see your point man and i wish you the best of luck because obviously i'd love to see mj get that finish here but when you get plus 240 i mean what's the why uh you know why even play around why even take that risk when you get such a good number and all it's, he's got to do it's is win? true yeah it's true it's a it's a little bit greedy in this specific case but the way that i see this fight like if it goes three that's probably bad for mj Fair enough. Even though he has won many decisions, but based on the styles, you know, I see your angle with him getting grinded down. But uh, hopefully that's not what's going to happen here, man. Hopefully the good footwork, the hand speed, oh. the veteran experience prevails that's in not, the spot. That's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is there's going to be a Russian dude face down in the middle of the cage. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> yes, sir. And uh, who's going to be wearing the wig at the end? somebody somebody in the crowd because michael johnson is going to run over into his corner and grab the wig and then whip it into the crowd it's going to be the ultimate disgrace and when khabib goes back to dagestan they're going to execute him that's what <laughs> i've heard anyway and then uh M mj is going to have to publicly apologize because you know everyone's paying the well actually it's free on fox but everyone's uh watching to see him knock someone out but then uh, once he knocks someone out and is like fuck you afterwards everyone's going to cry you know what i mean like they did when he fought dustin yeah, they didn't like that, did they? No, I mean... You should like that. You're already watching a fight, folks. You're already watching... You're, you are paying, in most cases, to watch two people beat the shit out of each other in a cage. Somebody might die. That's a possibility. But you, you're a little upset if one guy goes, Hey, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, come on, man. Relax, dude. You're already watching people fight. It goes, okay. It goes, like, in my opinion, beyond just two people fighting in a cage. I mean... Half your purse is on the line. I mean, people often forget that, you know, a win or a loss, I mean, that's, you know, 50% of your purse. I mean, look, if you're making 50 and 50, the split decision goes the other way. You're only taking 50 home. So, I mean, it's such a yeah. big deal. Half your purse on the line, all the bragging rights, your friends and family are watching. I mean, it's just, 
everything, man. And then, you know, people want them to be these killers inside the octagon. And then they want them to flip that switch immediately after. It's, uh, it's kind of strange, Sean. Yeah, I agree. And Michael Johnson is our best fight pick for UFC 205, Sean. That's right. Put your money on it. It's a, it's a worthwhile shot. But you know what's awesome? Frankie, the answer, Edgar is minus 340. Jeremy Lil Heathen Stevens is plus 280. I mean, dude, just as a fan of the sport, this is such a great fight. I mean, it kind of reminds me in a way of Bisbing versus Hendo, you know, with uh, Frankie kind of being the Bisbing, you know, volume striker. Obviously, if Edgar does have a great wrestling background. And Jeremy Stevens being the, the Hendo in the spot, you know. Great knockout power, one shot at a time. But look, man. Jeremy Stevens has picked up his athleticism a lot. He's been doing a ton of work. And even though he's the slower guy here, Connor always said timing beats speed. So if Jeremy can time one of those bombs, you know, when a lot of people break this fight down, they're going to say, oh, Jeremy's got a puncher's chance. And if Jeremy wins, he has to knock him out. Look, I agree. He he could win via knockout. But I I also think a decision is a path to victory here. Now, let me explain what I mean. Because one doesn't simply decision. Frankie Edgar, but what I, what I mean by that, Sean, is Jeremy could catch Frankie with a big shot, but not necessarily knock him out, because Frankie Edgar is so damn durable, but what it could do is slow him down, and kind of like the Burrell fight, where, you know, Burrell took those big shots, and it didn't necessarily put him away, but, man, it slowed him down big time, and Jeremy could capitalize, but honestly, based on the film, man, I gotta go with Frankie Edgar by decision here, I really think his speed is just it's on a different level than, than Jeremy Stevens, and also it's punches and bunches versus that one big shot. I'm not saying Jeremy can't time the one big shot, because he absolutely can, but I really do believe Frankie is going to be in and out, bop, 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 circle, circle, hard jersey, as uh, Mark Henry likes to say, and you know he's going to be doing all kinds of crazy shit. When, when Jeremy thinks he's striking, he's going to get taken down, and when Jeremy thinks he's trying to take him down, he's going to get outstruck. Now, I see the whole angle where you know Frankie's coming off another title loss, and, uh, you know, how many times can he climb back up the mountain? But I don't think this is a situation like Uriah yet, you know? I took that shot on Jimmy Rivera, obviously. I mean, you, you know, if you're smart, you bet on Jimmy Rivera in that spot. And that's what we did. But this is, to me, a different spot because I still think Frankie Edgar is a very competitive guy. I don't think he's, you know, punch drunk, per se, like a guy like Uriah Faber. And that's no disrespect to the legend Faber. It just, you know, it is what it is, man. Um, eventually, he, he will get caught. I mean, everyone gets caught in this game. Could this be the time? Yeah. I mean, Jeremy, he's looking better than ever. He can knock dudes the fuck out. Watching it live, I was like, man, he got his ass whooped. But then I rewatched it. Frankie was winning the first four minutes of every single round. Aldo would take off the first four minutes, and then he'd attack big time in the last minute. And Frankie didn't make any adjustments on the fly, which he's actually known for making adjustments. So it was kind of interesting. Aldo out-game-planned Edgar. That was a first. I don't think Jeremy Stevens is going to do that here, man. I think he's going to lose a decision. But, uh, you know, whoever's taking the shot, I don't blame you because eventually there will be a time when Frankie Edgar goes down. I do not believe this is going to be the time, Sean. Jeez, Dana, it's like you knew, you knew where I was going with this one. Once upon a time, uh, Uriah Faber fought Jimmy Rivera, and, and we all bet on Jimmy Rivera. The reason why was just that angle that you're talking about. And, and you know, occasionally I... Do not pay attention so closely to the tape that I watch of the guys, and I play these angles above seeing what I see. And maybe I get these right half the time, but half the time that I that I do win, it's a, it's a large number that I win on usually. So it's worth it. 
um, this is another one of those. This is just all angles. This is uh, like you were talking about. You, you can't climb up the ladder that many times and switch weight classes and, and get to the top and get knocked off and then almost make it and get bumped off again. And, and now you're in this predicament where I guess you got to think about 35. I don't think a drop to 35 would be terrible for Frankie, but what's he going to do at the top of 45 now? He can beat the most people, but guess what? He, he can't beat all, though. You know what I mean? Like, after that second fight, he, okay, it's just this, this fucking guy has your number. That's I'm sorry, but that's it. So in that interview where they asked Frankie, what does a win over Jeremy Stevens give you? He says, I don't know. And uh, you know what? I don't fucking know either. What, what exactly does it do? It puts you back on the train to climb the ladder, to fight... Oh, I don't know. At the end of the the tracks, there's Aldo again, and that that guy's got your number. It can't be a good look for him. He can't be feeling great about this. And now he's got a guy that he he doesn't really care about. Um, Skill-wise, just watching the tape, yeah, Frankie's absolutely better. And Frankie has big gaps in the places that give Stevens trouble. That's definitely true. On the other hand, uh, Stevens, who seems like he's been around for 50 years, just isn't that old. So now what you've got is a, is a super dangerous guy who's, who's putting it together now. The cardio seems pretty fixed. He seems to be really, really focused on, on fixing that cardio so he can throw these giant haymakers for three rounds. That's a dangerous fucking dude right there. Uh, his bag of tricks is is deep. It's not Frankie's bag of trips, tricks, but it's deep. He's seen whatever you're bringing. He's he has seen it. He's seen it. He's dealt with it before. And you've got this guy who doesn't care so much about fighting Stevens. And on the other hand, you've got Stevens, and this is a Super Bowl and the UFC's biggest event against a huge name. He got embarrassed by Connor at that presser, and he's like, "Oh, you don't know who I am. Let me sh- let me show everybody who I am. I'm gonna take out Frank Yeager. I'm gonna I'm gonna beat this huge name, and then I'm gonna be undeniable. And you guys are gonna have to deal with me." Uh, how he does that is, you know, it's beyond a puncher's chance. But yeah, how he does that is is land huge shots. And you're right, he could win by decision, but. Uh, if I mean, if, uh, this is another case where if it goes three, I think that's terrible for Stevens because he's probably on his back or against the cage half the time. But the punches in combination, Frankie can get caught. Frankie can especially get caught on the way in. Frankie, especially to me, is vulnerable to an uppercut. Who's got the best, strongest uppercut at 45? It's got to be Jeremy Stevens. It's got to be Jeremy Stevens. And he follows it with a left hook. It's pick your head up and knock it off with that left hook. I would like that combination in particular to happen sometime during this fight. I think, uh, you know, Frankie might be able to weather some shots and it's going to look a little sketchy here and there. And Stevens will get taken down and pushed up against the cage. But eventually that right shot lands and, and Frankie falls into the, the trap that, that fighters in his position at his age do. They just lose to somebody they shouldn't lose to. And the narrative after this fight will be like, oh, yeah, Frankie's done. Hey, he had a hell of a run, though. He, you know, he was great. And that's the situation that we're talking about this time. And it, you can look at this and say this isn't the time. But the people who get it right do it one time early. Because when it happens, it's not the time that everybody expects it to happen. It's the time before that. This is that time. This is that time. This is a guy 
who's coming in the most important fight versus a guy with no place to go and not an important fight. So I like Stevens in this case by knockout. Next up, we got Misha Tate. She's minus 175, and the comeback on Raquel Pennington is plus 155. Now, this is an angle I like a lot, Sean. You know, when someone's coming off a title loss or they just lost their belt, and then in their return fight, they're a minus 170 favorite. They're coming up against the hungry up-and-comer. I think that's the case right here, man. I think Rocky Pennington, firstly, I think she's been very impressive in her run lately. I mean, she's been turning corners in all areas of the game. I recall I was one judge's scorecard away from cashing a plus 450 underdog in her fight versus Holly Holm. Ever since then, she's been better than ever, finishing Jessica Andrade, won the decision against Betch Cohea. You know, in her last fight, I actually did fade her, but I mean, so what? The underdog was like a plus 300 dog, so, you know, in these close fights, you take that shot. And this is a close fight, and I'm going to take that shot on Raquel Pennington. I'm going to wait because I believe the price will get better. Everyone, uh... You know, Misha Tate is very hyped up, but the thing is, man, we've already seen the ceiling for Misha Tate. We know what she brings to the table. You know, she uh, she's slick with uh, with the wrestling. You know, she'll find opportunities. She's very gritty. She actually uh, ha- packs some power in that overhand right, but, man, her stand-up, you know, some people are going to say it's ugly, but the reason why it's ugly, you know, is because she squares up a lot on her stance. Now, Sean, I know you're a big boxing guy. You know, it's day one stuff not to square up in your stance. You know what I mean? And uh, Misha Tate squares up big time. And, you know, people say, oh, she wasn't herself when she fought Nunes. I mean, maybe Nunes is just a badass. Maybe, you know, word on the street is Nunes drops dudes in the gym. So I don't think it was a matter of Misha not showing up. I know she had a rough wake up, but so what, man? I mean, this is a championship fight. Nunes is the champ. It is what it is. And uh, in this spot, I think it's going to be a tough, gritty war where, you know, Raquel's boxing has gotten a lot better. She has the experience now. It's always been a confidence thing with her, in my opinion, because she was competing against higher-level opponents, such as Kat Zingano, you know, even Holly Holm earlier on. But now she's rising to that occasion and getting the victories. And uh, this is going to be her chance where she gets that big name under her belt. And I believe she's going to win a unanimous decision here. You know, she's training with people like Amanda Nunes. She's doing all the right things. Misha, I'm going to play that angle where she's coming back from that title loss. And uh, she's lost a step in her career. As simple as that. Raquel Pennington via unanimous decision, Sean. Well, I'm going to take this chance to tell you about this movie, Daniel. And and you must watch it. It's called Tickled. And I can't give away too much about Tickled. Because it's the craziest fucking story. True story. Best documentary I've ever seen. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's fucking great. It's about this guy. He's a reporter from New Zealand. And he makes his living finding weird things and doing stories about them. And they're always very interesting and very funny. He finds this this thing online called competitive endurance tickling. And it's a bunch of dudes who hold each other down and tickle each other and he thinks this is really strange and weird and and he starts writing about it and immediately this company in the united states or maybe in germany you're not sure sends three guys with first class seats to new zealand to tell him to stop immediately go nowhere near this or i will sue the ass off of you i'll sue you in new zealand i'll sue you in america i'll just the the warnings to stay away from this weird but seemingly not serious thing is is so over the top and crazy and this reporter is a gay dude 
and they're like, we don't like gay people coming to competitive endurance tickling. We don't want to have anything to do with homosexuals. And, and of course, this reporter's like, the, you guys are doing the gayest thing I've ever seen. This doesn't make sense. So he goes on this voyage to find out exactly what the hell is going on with these people. And it gets really creepy, really weird, and, and totally unbelievable, although it is 100% real. And since this is an MMA podcast and not a movie podcast, I will tell you that somewhere in this story, they deal with a group of MMA fighters who are tied into this in some weird way, who are forced to make videos about whether or not tickling is a good way to get out of submissions in the cage. That happens during this movie as well. You, you have to watch this movie. You have to. It's excellent. A+. plus. Sean Carey, ladies and gentlemen. So, Sean, is uh, is Rocky Pennington a live dog here? Does she know about competitive tickling? Because, I mean, that's all that counts now. That's all that counts. If she can tickle her way out of this fight, I think she can win. No, I, d I don't think that she's good enough to beat Misha. I think the wrestling's going to be too big for her. But I completely believe in the angle that you're talking about. Uh, getting dusted up in a title fight and your next one back, not being a total cupcake is a big problem. So... Oh, cupcake! Double joke. Boom. Um, I don't. I don't think that Pennington gets it done. But yeah, I, I believe in your angle, and it might be a worthwhile shot. Oh, it's going to be a worthwhile shot, my man. And you know what else might be a worthwhile shot? We got Donald the Tickling. Cowboy. <laughs> we got Donald Cowboy Cerrone's minus one fifty-five. The comeback on Kelvin Gastelum is plus one thirty-five. Man, this is a hell of a matchup, dude. I mean, obviously with Donald Cerrone, everyone talks about his career resurgence at 170. Here's the thing, man. He's always been a badass. But at 170, the things that I really enjoy about what he's been adding to his game is, firstly, we've always complained that Cowboy doesn't have head movement. Well, he's been fucking moving his head lately, dude. I mean, that Rick Story fight, that's a prime example. Also, man, I mean, just his maturity, the way he's putting his combinations together. Now, we all know Cowboy is notoriously weak to the body. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, well, now that he's at 170, he doesn't have that problem anymore. I completely disagree because the reason he had that issue with his body wasn't because he was cutting all that weight. It's because he got into an accident doing one of his extreme sports and they had to take out, I believe, you know, a portion of his stomach or his liver or something like that. Do you know exactly what it was, Sean? I don't. I don't. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what it was. Yeah, was but, it a spleen? Yeah, bottom line, it was something to where, you know, you kick this dude in the right spot. I mean, you kick anyone in the right spot, it's going to hurt. But with Cowboy, it doesn't take as much to the body, you know? Uh, Matt Brown-esque. With Kelvin Gastelum, I say this every single time I break down one of his fights. On his worst possible day, he misses weight by 10 pounds, he's hospitalized, he has the flu... And he still goes to a split decision with Tyron Woodley, the UFC welterweight champion. That's how damn good Kelvin Gastelum is. And that's back when he was like, what, 22, 23? Now he's got to be around 24, 25. He's really maturing. And he's one of these guys that thrives in King's MMA. Not everyone does well at King's MMA. Some people cannot hang in that environment. Kelvin Gastelum is not one of those dudes. He absolutely, not just does he hang, he thrives in that environment and I mean, you saw the improvements that Benil Daryush made in his game. I mean, one doesn't simply 30-27 Rashid Magomedov, especially on the feet, no less. I think Kelvin Gastelum is also going to be a product of uh, just the improvements that King's MMA brings to a fighter's game. And we also know the fact that Rafael Cordero has experience fighting against the Cowboy twice. He beat him twice with Rafael Dos Anjos. 
Kelvin Gastelum, similar to Rafael Dos Anjos, he's also a southpaw, but he's a lot bigger, he's a lot faster, stronger, and uh, he also has a very good body kick, which we know gives the Cowboy problems. Look, I'm not going to count out the Cowboy because he, he's a badass. I mean, it's, it's Donald Cowboy Cerrone. He's got a chance against anyone in the world, and on any given night, he could hold the world championship. But Kelvin Gastelum is absolutely a gamer. Make no mistake about it. He's never choked in fights before, except the Neil Magny fight. But in my opinion, what happened there was, you know, when you, when you train to fight Neil Magny, in my opinion, the last thing on your mind is, you know, your takedown defense. Maybe now because he started doing that lately to some guys. But at that point in time, it was just, okay, I got to get used to, you know, striking against the dude with the longest reach in that division. So I'm going to work mostly my striking in that camp. I think the element of surprise really shook him up in the Neil Magny fight. But then against Johnny Hendricks, I mean, we all know Johnny Hendricks has way better wrestling credentials than Neil Magny. And uh, Johnny Hendricks wasn't able to take down Kelvin Gastelum because Kelvin Gastelum was prepared for that area of the game. We know Donald Cowboy Cerrone is not just a great striker. He's also, he's got very underrated wrestling. I mean, he can take down Kelvin Gastelum, but I think Kelvin's going to be ready for all areas of the game. His maturity from all his past fights is going to lead up to this moment, and I think he has what it takes to get the big upset here, Sean. You know what? I got to level with you. I'm not qualified to talk about this fight. Here's my disclaimer on the breakdown of this fight. I have lost more money on Cowboy than any other guy and probably any other three guys combined. When I bet on Cowboy, he doesn't show up. When I bet against Cowboy, he's the best Cowboy you've ever fucking seen. I can't get it right with him. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me, but Cowboy fights, I'm so bad at them that I promised myself that I, I, I would no longer bet on Cowboy fights. That being said, I can't help but to like Gastelum here. I like... This new game that that Cowboy has at 170, that definitely the the striking is is more fluid. Seemingly, he seems more confident, but it's really about oh surprise takedown. Well, fuck, didn't see that coming. I don't I don't think those takedowns, like you said, surprise Gastelum. I think Gastelum is ready, and I I think Gastelum can stop him. I think Gastelum's uh, biggest Achilles heel, which was his cardio. I think that is probably fixed now i don't know it's tough to qualify something as fixed when you've only seen it be, be good twice and one of those times was a loss but for him to get stronger in rounds four and five uh in that magni fight that that was a big deal uh for him to still be going full speed against hendrix in, in the third after a rocky second i feel like that was a big deal uh, the dude is young the dude is with a great camp he's only getting better um and yeah, you're right. The key to this fight is that fucking body kick. And and that body kick is not just some random body kick. This is a very educated body kick against uh, an opponent with the same trainer that, that, that has been taken out by, by body shots prior by, by the same guy. So like they know the plan is to go to the body. They know he, that's gotta be in the cards. That's gotta be being practiced constantly, right? That they wouldn't just skip that. They wouldn't consider that not important. So I think that happens a lot. And I think that body kick turns into a head kick. And I think that puts cowboy on his heels. And maybe that gets cowboy into that mode that we've seen him go into when he doesn't want to fight, when he's looking a little yellow, like he doesn't want to have anything to do with this. And, and he doesn't show up and, Something hits him and he folds. And you're like, oh, fuck. Fucking Cowboy showed up again. And, you know, coincidentally, these are the times the biggest fights 
the ones that he's got the longest camp for he's gearing up for this and it gets into his head and he shows up and then doesn't show up when he shows up so that is still alive it's still in there somewhere it's hard to deny that 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 this is a different cowboy at 170 i think i'm finally sold on that after the story fight um but like i said horrible track record betting on betting on or against cowboy but yeah i agree with you i I like gastelum and i probably like him by finish body anytime you've heard me break down a cowboy fight i always say the same thing Always bet Cowboy against non-top five guys. I mean, when I saw people betting Patrick Cote against him, and no offense if you did, I'm like, the fuck are you doing? This isn't a top five guy. This isn't even a top 15 guy. I sure did. It's but, not that. It, in that case, it was, It was. I am not sold that Cowboy is a 170-pound fighter, and when he runs into a big 170-pounder who can take it and give it, it's going to be a fucking problem. And he ran into one, and the dude couldn't take it. And couldn't give it. You know what I'm saying? Just totally out the fucking window wrong again. I'm not, not sold on him at 170, and I should be after Cote and Story, but I, I I can't shake it. I can't shake it. I don't think he's a 170-pound dude. I just don't. Well, I mean, it's to me, it's not about him not being a 170-pounder, because if you can knock out Rick Story, I mean, you're a motherfucking 170-pounder. To me, it's always been, in the history of Cowboy's career, he has never lost to a non-top five guy in his entire history of Cowboy Cerrone, he has never lost to a non-top five guy. Kelvin Gastelum is a top five guy. These are the kind of spots that he loses in. So don't be don't be surprised at all if Kelvin gets this upset here. Now, as far as you know, taking that shot, it is plus one thirty-five. Obviously, I'd love to take you know plus one fifty. That'd be nice. So you know, let's wait a little bit. Let's see if. Uh, you know, media day when you see the stare down, Cowboy's the taller guy. People put a lot of stock into shit like that. Let's see if the number gets better. And, uh, you know, also let's see if Kelvin makes weight because... But then again, I mean, not that I really give a shit because when he missed weight by 10 pounds against Woodley and was hospitalized, he still went to a split, man. So Kelvin's a very talented, underrated guy. And uh, people, people underestimate him and underrate him, so... I think this is a good moment for him, and he always comes to fight. Even in his losses, he's an absolute gamer. We've never seen him quit in a fight before. So, uh, yeah, Kelvin's always a good dog to bet on. Another thing you can say is, well, I mean, I know Cowboy doesn't give a shit who he's fighting, and, you know, he's had late opponent dropouts many times, but I hear he was really excited to fight Robbie Lawler, dude, and we know that Kelvin replaced him. So, you know, you could make the letdown spot argument, but I'm not even going to go there. I'm going to go just in terms of the styles matching up, man. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think I, I think the things that I think about Cowboy have to show up. I just I can't seem to get the time where they show up right. <laughs> Happen, happens so to I, the best I, of us, my man. Yeah, repeatedly. Chris Weidman, he's minus one sixty-five. Yoel Romero is plus one forty-five. Man, Chris Weidman's been waiting for this moment for a long time. Finally, gets the chance to fight at MSG. And, you know, man, uh, I think the way he pictured it was him being the last fighter, you know, walking out to defend his belt at MSG. But still, to be on the pay-per-view, that's a big deal. And to have Conor headlining, that's an even bigger deal. 
With Yoel Romero, he has his own version of the Machida elusive style with his defense, but offensively, he walks you down and he knows how to cut off that cage. He lulls fighters into a false sense of security and explodes out of nowhere. He throws unorthodox techniques such as punches to the thighs, even spins to get you thinking, and then he attacks with a big kick or a barrage of straight punches. He's always faking the takedown to make you realize the threat is there, but sometimes he's not going to fully attack it until the second or third round. And uh, he has been taken down in fights before, but he's also shown freakish takedown defense and a very athletic getup game. First round, Yoel Romero might be the best middleweight on planet Earth. It's about what happens after round one. And it's funny to hear me say that because, you know, his KO wins of Hani Marks, Derek Brunson, Tim Kennedy, Leona Machida all occurred in the third round. Also, his decision victory over Jacare proved he can win a decision as well. Yet it also proved he is very vulnerable if he empties his gas tank trying to finish you and is unable to. Yoel can be rocked and he has been KO'd before, but he's a guy that's going to do whatever it takes to win as long as he's conscious. Even if that means extreme measures. Now with uh, with Chris Weidman, he's a winner as well. I mean, and it dates back to, you know, he beat Phil Davis and Ryan Bader in college wrestling. He was the first man to beat Anderson Silva in the UFC and he's evolved from just a wrestler to one of the best fighters at 185 pounds. Very solid forward pressure on the feet. Extremely underrated distance management. Like, you ask yourself, why aren't these guys able to get off on their strikes against Chris? And that's exactly why, man. His forward pressure and his distance is just very, very underrated. People feel his presence in that octagon. Very good usage of the jab to set up the strikes. He checks leg kicks, which is a big deal to me. Nice elbows in the clinch. Entries to the takedowns aren't the best, but he doesn't get discouraged at all if you stuff him. He'll keep trying to take you down multiple times. And he can knock you out with one punch or he can pick you apart for five rounds as he showed in the Machida fight. He's a gamer and a badass. I mean, he taunted Anderson Silva. One doesn't simply taunt Anderson Silva in the middle of a fight, especially back then when he was on that 16-fight win streak and was the legend that, you know, was the, the mythical Anderson Silva. Chris does have somewhat suspect cardio in the later rounds. He does have questionable fight IQ. I mean, the wheel kick in the Rockhold fight, that must be addressed. If that's not bad fight IQ, I don't know what is, Sean. And now, that doesn't necessarily mean a similar situation will occur in the Romero fight. But don't be surprised, motherfuckers. Luke Rockhold said in the lead-up to the, to the fight with Chris Weidman that Weidman is a product of good timing. You know, as in he caught Silva, Machida, and Belfort towards the latter parts of their careers. I'm curious to see if he's right, and this bout's going to let us know. Fighting at home is a big motivator, but it's also a huge distractor. And it goes beyond, you know, everyone just asking you for tickets. You know, people act like, oh, sleeping in my bed on fight week is a big advantage. But I've also heard fighters say it doesn't really feel like fight week. And not only have I heard fighters say that, I've heard Chris Weidman say that. I've been listening to multiple interviews with him. He's been saying, man, it doesn't really feel like, uh, like fight week because it takes away the whole showing up and doing your job thing. So we'll see how Chris reacts to that. One could also use the angle John Anik has been using, which is it'll be very hard to defeat Chris Weidman in that building on that night. You know, Chris has uh, he's been historically riddled with injuries throughout his career. Is this going to be a refreshed Chris, or is it going to be a, a banged-up Chris that's bandaged limb to limb and would pull out of this exact fight anywhere but MSG? That remains to be seen. Yoel has never lost in the UFC, but as everyone knows. Everyone has to take that first UFC loss. At the same time, Chris has already been the champion. Yoel still has that aspiration to be UFC champion and the first Cuban UFC champion. It's going to be a serious fight that could go either way. I've never picked against Yoel. I'm not going to start here. Going back to the angle where you know the champion's coming off a tough loss. 
Now he's making his return in a high-pressure situation against a serious bad motherfucker who is a plus-145 underdog. I believe Romero defeats Weidman and gets the title shot, Sean. I totally disagree with you. I think, you know, let's just talk about betting this fight. There's there's two schools of thought uh, on this. You're going to you're gonna talk about this. You think that Chris Weidman is a better fighter than Yoel Romero when both are at their best. Uh, or, I don't know if I do, Sean. Well, I'm not saying that you do. I'm saying okay. that's, that's, one, that's one side of it. The other side of it is this is all about his neck, right? This is like, like you said and like we talked about. Um, Chris Weidman, after stumping for MMA to come to New York, being a big part of that, finally getting uh, a fight in New York, he has to get ready for this. And if he were injured, would he pull out of this? After all the pullouts, after this particular situation, I'd probably say no. So you have to think if dude is injured or dude's neck is not ready, he's probably going forward anyway, and that's probably bad news. So we don't know that. You know what I mean? Like, we don't really know what the truth is there about about his neck. I'm going to throw the neck out. I'm going to say the neck is fine. I'm going to say he's ready for this fight. I'm, I'm going to go at this fight with the... This is a, a good Chris Weidman versus a, a, a good Yoel Romero. R- Yoel Romero, you know, when you really watch it, it, the collection of his fights, this dude's, he's a head case. He's always had this wrestling ability. That's always been there. He completely refuses to use it sometimes. He completely just get, gets taken down seemingly when he's okay with it when he wants to he's uh, oh, okay i'll get taken down this time then when he doesn't want to he's like get the fuck off of me you have no chance in taking me down it's it's very weird but i don't like what what is what is you know letting yourself getting taken down or or not why would you bring that to a fight with you how about if you can stop every takedown how about you just go ahead and stop every takedown you know what i mean like when you get taken down and you can get back up like I've seen you do a bunch of times, like get up like the guy's not even on top of you, that's great. Let's do that every time. But no, you're not going to do that every time. Sometimes, and, and unfortunately for, for his spot in his career right now, most of the time, dude's like, oh, perfect time to take a break. Thanks for taking me down because I need to take a breather. I appreciate it that i'll just go ahead and stay here for a little while that's what he does he takes a break he takes a break on his feet too i don't think that his cardio can can fuel that a huge amount of muscle that he's carrying around with him we've seen his cardio be bad over and over again like you said that's another weird conundrum kind of situation because he finishes people in the third round um you know you mentioned his his wins against jacare and tim kennedy i think about those as like this dude lost to Tim Kennedy and Jacques Ray. You know what I mean? Like he gave he gave it up in the third round. He couldn't move. How do you lose hey, to Jacques Ray? I thought he lost that fight. I thought he lost that decision. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't know where people are at on that. I don't know if more people think he lost or won. But I mean, when I watch that fight, I think he fucking lost. I think he cheated his way out of losing to Kennedy. I don't think somebody that we're talking about getting ready for a title shot should get knocked out by by Tim Kennedy. He kind of got stopped by Tim Kennedy. You know what I mean? Like, and, and talk about a product of timing. Well, your Leota Machida win is a product of timing for sure, right? It, it's this guy. 
he's a head case. He's ruled by his emotions, and 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 that's what it's about here. I don't. I, I don't think that he has what it takes to be champion. I think he doesn't get higher than where where he is right now. And that I'm not saying he's not talented. He's super talented. The wrestling is crazy. The explosiveness is crazy. The power is crazy. He's fast. I get it. But he's old. He's coming off some rust right now, too. You know what I'm saying? Like... I don't know. When when he wins, he looks like a monster. But when he's not looking like a monster, he looks average. When he's not just, looking like just, a monster, he wins anyways. It, that, that's true, too. You know what I'm saying? He does pull some wins out of his ass, but they're always out of the pulled out of the fire against people that he should not be in the fire with. You know what I mean? Like, there's that. And, and Weidman, on the other hand, he is a big stubborn bully you when you talk about Wyman, you look at his skills it's not the cleanest thing ever it's the striking is a bit sloppy and, and everywhere and you know what it takes sometimes in this sport <clears throat> sometimes in this sport after watching it for all this fucking time it's a guy's sheer willingness to hit you that's what Chris Weidman does. Chris Weidman goes, I'm coming after you, and I'm hitting you. He doesn't get there and wait and pause. He gets to you and hits you. He's trying to hit you the whole time. He's coming after you. And occasionally, he pulls off some kind of fancy shit and hits people hard with it. Um, the wrestling is great. The ground and pound is great. He's got a hell of a fucking mean streak on him. It, you know, he's he's good. He's like a super, super high-class workman type of guy you know what i'm saying like a like a like a lunch pail kind of guy just he's there to beat you and you're gonna have a hard time getting rid of him and he's he's just a big stubborn bully and, and he's gonna come after you and you better get rid of him if you're gonna beat him um in this case at home in this situation like i said i'll throw the neck out the window so if we throw the neck out the window he's got to be super psyched for this fight this is a huge deal and i i I don't see him as somebody who doesn't believe in himself after losses. I see him as somebody who's only thinking, oh, I'm getting this one back after a loss. That's how I feel about him. That's what I think he goes in this situation with. I think it would be a close fight. And in this situation, in a close fight, first of all, if this is one and one going into the third round, I think Chris Weidman, while not having fucking great cardio, he's got better cardio than Yoel. And just when you're wanting Yoel to win this fight, that's when he's going to take a break. Just when you see him on the ground and he's turtled and he could get up, he's not going to get up because he's going to breathe instead. And he's going to suck a minute off that clock. And the whole time, even if Chris Weidman's just doing little tippy-tap punches, during that time... Every time that Chris Weidman does something, that whole entire Madison Square Garden is going to shit their pants. They're going to go nuts every time he, he even swings. Doesn't even have to land. They're going to go nuts. But the crowd, the New York, and, and, and that third-round cardio against each other, I think this is a close fight. I think Weidman pulls off a decision with all those things going in his favor. I think Weidman is back after this fight, and I think Yoel gets you know, knock down a couple pegs after this fight when the same problems show up that we've seen show up in, in, in all of his fights, win or loss. Well, I agree with you in the sense that I do think Chris Weidman's going to show up with a mentality of, you know, I'm going to take this dude out, whatever it takes. I mean, he, he's, he's a tough guy, of course, but, you know, you mentioned the third-round cardio. Okay, so, Yoel, firstly, I don't understand how you think Yoel lost to Jacare. Let, let me give you my perspective of that fight. So, first round, I mean, Yoel... 
almost knocks him out cold. You know, with that spinning back fist, you can make that a 10-8. Eh? You know, Jacare is wobbling back to, to his corner between rounds. Second round, okay, Yoel grabs the fence. Let's, okay, so we're, if we're going to talk about Yoel grabbing the fence, then we better talk about Chris Weidman grabbing the fence in the fourth round against Luke Rockle. Now let's talk about the difference between the two. When Yoel cheats to win, he wins. When Chris Weidman has cheated to win, he hasn't won. You know what I mean? So Yoel will do whatever it takes, whether it means milking a little time between rounds, you know, his cornermen dumping a little water on him to get that extra time. They know their athlete. They will do whatever it takes. When uh, Chris was grabbing that fence multiple times, it didn't stop Luke from taking him down. Yoel grabbed it one time, and uh, he, he stopped the takedown. Look, people are going to say, why are you even talking about shit like that? Well, because money is on the line, firstly. I mean, this, this is very important stuff. Like we mentioned in the Tony Ferguson fight when he threw that up kick against Barbosa. Yeah, he gets deducted a point, but he finished the fight anyway, so it's not a big deal. Sometimes you got to bet on guys that cheat to win. And uh, So you had, you had it 1-1 one one going into the third? No, I had it 2 nothing going to the third. And then I had the third round. I mean, oh, oh, he took him down and barely landed any punches. Big deal. It was kind of like, yeah, he wins by default in the sense, Jacare wins that round by default in the sense that he got the top position. But it's not like he, you know, whooped his ass or anything like that. It was just, you know, the first round, Yoel beat the shit out of him. The second round, he kind of edged it a little bit. And then the third round, he got taken down and, you know, Jacare won that round. So how does that win the fight? Why didn't you, because I because I think Jacare won the second and the third round, but why didn't Yoel get up in the third round? I mean, maybe he was gassed, man. But it's not like he got full mounted and got subbed by you know the fucking Jacare, the jujitsu whiz. I mean, he got taken down, was in half guard, blocked most of the punches, he just, and then got back up. He and just round took was a over. break. <laughs> he just took a break. He was like, ah, oh, yeah. Fuck it. But Sean, how how are you going to break down Chris Weidman and not address that spinning? wheel kick in the third round well, of the no, Luke Rockle. We, we talked about this earlier. That that was an all-time fucking dummy move, and it, and it semi-lost the fight for him. I don't know which way the fight was going until that point. It was, it was really close. Both guys had, had been hurt by body kicks, and, and both guys looked gassy. And then that spinning back kick changed everything. But I after we talked about this, I went back and thought, what other dummy moves has Chris Weidman done? I couldn't think of any. So I'm I'm not going to say that Chris Weidman's a dummy based on the one real big dummy move. We'll agree that that was a huge dummy move, but I you know, you, the the one dummy move doesn't put you in the dummy pile for me. You're going to have to make 3. Three's the the cutoff. <laughs> three dummy moves, you're officially a dummy. That's the new rule. For Sean it takes 3, for me it takes 1 because I mean, that moment you know, it was in. Well, then your dummy, your dummy pile is huge, then, because everybody <laughs> makes one dummy move. Yeah, but to that, to that extent, I mean, you know, when it's your title is on the line, this is the biggest card at that time in UFC history. Now, two hundred five is going to be the biggest card now. But at that point, I mean, that's the same card where Aldo fought McGregor. I mean, you remember everything was on the line, and you know, Chris was saying, you know, if I'm going to lose to anyone, it cannot be Luke Rockhold, and. Uh, Biggest moment of of his career. That's when he made that choice to throw that kick, man. And this at is, least afterwards, he said hey, that was dumb. Well, yeah. You know what I'm most is of the, he going to say that smart? My, <laughs> well, most of the guys in my dummy pile don't realize why they're in my dummy pile. Yeah, you, you know, know like I, mean? for, I agree. You know, for example, my boy Felipe Aranches. I, I doubt he'll ever admit that. Uh, you know, sometimes I don't get off my back, even though he outstruck Eric Goita. You know, I, I understand how this works. You lay on your back too long, you you lose the decision. But. uh 
Every now and then, Roy Nelson hits over him with a huge punch and then goes for a takedown. Oh, man, When, he needs, when so he's bad. got 30 seconds to win a fight. That was so you know? bad, man. Oh, my Every God. now and then, Josh Berkman rocks the fuck out of stun gun and then goes for a, a, a really terrible flying knee and goes for a takedown. But those guys repeat some dumb shit over and over again. You know what I mean? Like, Weidman's got a, a, a an all-timer elite dummy move, but he's he's not Berkmanville yet. I like Weidman a lot, but I do think he's a bit of a meathead, and uh, I would not be surprised if he made a mistake like that. But, the, you know, fuck the neck thing. To me, let's, let's assume he's coming into this fight 100%. I really think the speed and explosiveness is going to pay dividends, because like you said about Weidman striking, you know, even though it's very underrated, like I mentioned, that distance and um, his forward pressure, a lot of people underestimate it. But I think that, you know, he, he's going to be, you know, throwing a a jab-jab or a jab-hook, and then out of nowhere, a big straight left is going to pop his head back type thing. I think that's how it's going to be because, man, Yoel is so much faster, especially in the first round or two. Now, I, I, I get the whole third-round cardio thing, but I really don't think Weidman has that great of cardio in the third round. I mean, it's not like... I mean, Jacare, the it's, best jiu-jitsu guy, couldn't full mount him or anything. He had half but guard. But it, it's, it's not really about the third-round cardio. It's about if you take down... Like, like, put them in the same exact situation with the same exact level of cardio at that moment, both gassed out. When you do something to Yoel and you get on top of him, he takes a break. When you do something to Weidman and get on top of him, he's like, I really tiredly have to get up. That's what I'm talking about. It's not so much the cardio. It's like, what the fuck is going on in your head where you're okay with taking a break. What is going on in your head where this time is the okay time to give up a takedown? Because you can see him do it. You know what I'm saying? You can see him agree with with himself that this is the time to take a break. That is not a winning attitude. <laughs> that is not a way to back up all this talent and power and speed and explosiveness that you have. Is is No, dude, you really tiredly get to your feet. You don't just lay there. Because you could be losing the fight when you're laying there. And, and he's, you know, in that Jacare fight, in my opinion, he did that. And he should have lost, but he didn't. Well, Sean, my last counter to this argument is going to be, you know, you said, uh, well, when Yoel gets taken down, he just lays there. Okay, look, well, they both had the same scenario their last fights. They both got taken down in the third round. When Yoel got taken down, you know, he had uh, the best jiu-jitsu guy on planet Earth, you know, MMA jiu-jitsu guy in half guard and blocked all the punches. When Chris got taken down, he got full mounted and uh, it should have been a third round TKO, but you know, everything's on the line, so Herb let it go to the fourth round. So I disagree, man. One guy got fucked up when he was on his back. The other guy kind of held on and, you know, let the round in. They both survived. Well, Damn one you. got fucked up. Yoel did not get fucked up. That's true. He didn't get fucked up. I know. He's still an asshole, though. I still don't <laughs> like him. <laughs> hey, listen, man. May the best man win in this spot. Because, look, you can take I, – I, I understand your angle. I also understand John Anik's point of it's going to be very hard to beat Chris Weidman in that building on that night. But, man, it's going to be very hard to build to beat Yoel Romero on that night as well, Sean. So, any, any closing remarks on this fight? Yeah, how come – now, Now, of all the times to bring up the the – ambiguous USADA claim. I don't... I, you didn't bring it up on this one. I think this yeah. is a good one to bring it up on. Okay, well, he I already fought good one. under USADA, and, I mean, he almost knocked out Jacare in the first round, man. I mean, he's he's Cuban, man. He's got crazy genes. He's been but looking he's, like that I since mean, he was 19. 
how I mean, do we believe tainted supplement? Is uh, who, that a thing that who we gives believe? A fuck? What I believe is that he. I mean, I, I think he's probably still you know doing whatever he was doing, man. I'm just, I'm saying I I think that he cannot uh, chance the tainted supplement this time. So maybe we see something different. And maybe I'll keep an open mind. You know, I always have my eye on. You know, are these guys looking deflated? You know, is uh, you know. That kind of thing, no. but uh, I don't think that guy's know. like incapable of looking deflated. He's yeah. made out of rock. Yeah, <laughs> he's Cuban, bro. You know, and, and it's yeah. funny. You know, we always joke about like with Glover to share and these guys, like you know, um, where you don't really know how old they truly are. You know, it says you was like thirty eight, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was like forty eight, Sean. He's just yeah, a he's actually seventy six. He's seventy yeah. six. He's yeah. just uh, that old man you don't want to mess with, and uh, may the best man win. Now, next up, the Coco main event of the evening. Joanna Yun Jacek, she's minus 410. The comeback on Karolina Kolvakevich is plus 330. I'm a big fan of both. I mean, Karolina, very underrated fighter. You know, she cashed as a plus 210 in her last fight against Rose Namajunas. That was a good one. What I like about Karolina Kowalkiewicz or Kolvakevich, I mean, which one is it, bro? Kowalkiewicz or Kolvakevich? I, I like Kovalkiewicz. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll we'll go with that. What I like about her, she's super gritty. You know, it's not it's not the prettiest when she strikes, but who cares, man? Because like, look, she'll take all your shots in that first round. Then in that second round, she puts you in that clinch. She demoralizes you with knees to the body, with elbows to the face, and she wills herself to victory. I mean, she's very tough. She reminds me of a female version of uh, Frankie Edgar with Joanna and Jacek, obviously. Unbelievable Muay Thai. What I really like is, you know, it's not just the flat-footed Muay Thai that everyone likes to talk about. Even though, you know, people act like that style is uh, outdated or whatever. But you fuck with the wrong flat-footed guy and he's going to put you straight on your ass out cold. So I think people need to show a little more respect to Muay Thai. But with Joanna, she does like to circle. Very good use of the jab. Lot, Lots of speed. My biggest issue here is that as much as I love Joanna, I think she's a well-rounded MMA fighter. I think she's amazing. But I also think she's an aging competitor. And I noticed that in the Valerie Letourneau fight because, you know, I was expecting kind of like... Get the fuck out of here. Kind of like... No, the, <laughs> I was expecting kind of like the, the two fights before that, you know, against Esparza and... Um, and uh, what's the name of the chick, Andrade? And Jessica Penne. I, you know, that was just like, oh my God, a massacre. Then against Letourneau, you know, Letourneau wins the first round and, and uh, Joanna kind of outpoints her the next four. Okay, you know, maybe she had an off night that night. And then against uh, Claudia Gadelia, I mean, she gets dropped two to three times. I'm like, and, and also she wobbled a couple times from the big hooks. I was like, damn, bro, is, uh, is Joanna getting a little chinny here? Have all the Muay Thai wars caught up to her? And the only reason that, you know, she was able to take over the last three rounds, obviously her championship heart, her cardio, her experience, her will to win. But don't act like uh, Claudia was coming on hard those last three rounds because Claudia completely stopped fighting after round two. Carolina she was made to stop <laughs> she 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 had to stop fighting. Yeah, <laughs> she much. ran into a buzzsaw. Yeah, but I don't think Carolina's gonna stop. However, I do think Carolina's face is gonna get very marked up in this oh, in this yeah. fight. And uh, you know that first round against Rose, Rose was landing big shots. Joanna's gonna land big shots, but it's about can Joanna take the shots that Carolina brings to the table? Um, you know, because Carolina's gonna get in that clinch, and she's she's not afraid to get nasty in there. And she's a winner. She knows how to win these fights. She's not going to get discouraged. So I do believe it's going to be a five-round war. Now, you got to lean with Joanna, you know, the championship experience. Uh, she's just better technically. But, dude, I think uh, 
one of these next two is going to dethrone her. Whether it's Carolina or Jessica Andrade, I do think uh, the belt is going to change hands soon. I'm also curious why Joanna moved to ATT. You know, I understand wanting to, you know, to round out your game, you know, improve in all areas, but... There's also the thing that Connor always talks about that you don't ditch the people that brought you to the title. Now, I'm not entirely sure that she did. Maybe she brought, you know, her Polish coaches with her to ATT and they're integrating their system with Mike Brown. That could very well be the case, you know, but it all it could also be one where she left the people that brought her to the title. So, I'm curious how she does in this new camp, but to me, I'm not going to put much stock into that because I believe she's a gamer. She shows up every single time. And it's going to come down to who's the better fighter. Joanna is the better fighter, but Carolina brings those intangibles, such as her toughness, her will to win, her strikes in the clinch. She could give Joanna a serious run here. You know, this isn't like Carla Esparza or Jessica Penne, where they're broken before the fight even starts. Carolina is coming to fight. So it's a matter of can she pull off this monumental upset? I'm not willing to take the shot, but I'm also not willing to play Joanna here. But my official pick is Joanna by unanimous decision, but I'm not going to be surprised one bit if Carolina is the one to dethrone her. But if it's not Carolina, it's going to be Jessica Andrade, Sean. I, I don't buy any of that stuff. I, I, I see this as the the cleanest, easiest fight to, to pick on the, on the whole card. Um, there's gaps in this fight that are huge. Um, I'd say, okay, well, the first biggest gap is, is Joanna's footwork. First of all, let me address the chin thing. Okay, she got hit with a jab when she was off balance. I don't know if I qualify that as chinny. I did see her get wobbled one other time, but when we were talking about this last time, I went back and watched that fight. I don't see her drop two to three times. Um, well, there was a jab I didn't and there was an elbow. That's twice. Yeah, but it's like a little balancey on that first one. You know what I'm saying? It's not like... She was not hurt, though. You, you can get flashed, right? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't read as chinny to me, but, you know, we'll fucking find that out soon enough anyway. Um, the footwork, Joanna's footwork is miles ahead of Kovalkiewicz. Kovalkiewicz is that old schooly I'm coming straight at you thing. Not hard to fucking figure out in this case, okay? The, the footwork is miles apart. The speed is miles apart. Uh, the accuracy is miles apart. If you want to give Kovalkiewicz the clinch, I would say no. Okay, her clinch is definitely deadly. She worked a great cl clinch game on Rose, but her clinch is like I'm clinching with you. Now I'm piling up shots. I'm going to, to uh, use attrition to just land whatever kind of shit I can on you as many times as I can before you get away with me. I, I love that. I love attrition kind of guys like well girls in this case but i'd probably give the clinch to joanna because joanna's clinch is like got you hurt you hurt you stab you cut you you know what i mean like it's not like it's not like i'm gonna pile up 50 shots on you it's like i'm gonna do four and they're all gonna fucking hurt and i'm gonna like it because she, this bitch is super mean it's obvious like there's there's something special about her striking might be the best in the UFC, men or women. The striking is is outrageously good. It, it really is. The distance is super good, and and the, the by far the biggest gap, the most undeniable gap, is that if you you are going to wade in on Rose and not protect your face and let this bitch tee off on you. You're in deep shit against Joanna. It's just that simple. If you're not going to protect your face, if you're going to eat shots and then get there and not deliver more power, 
that's that's a huge problem. And Rose, while she's a okay striker, she's decent. You know, we're talking about girls' division here. She's probably up towards the top, but in in reality, it, it, you know, relatively, it's it's not good. You know, what I mean, like the difference is like when you wade into Rose's punches, she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna hit you in the head," and then she's like, hits her in the head three times easily repeatedly she did that when you wade into joanna and you let her hit you in the head she's not saying i'm gonna hit you in the head she's like oh i'm gonna hit you in the chin oh i'm gonna hit you in the eye i'm gonna hit you in the nose she's not targeting your head she's targeting spots on your head that's the kind of accuracy that's the kind of skill we're talking about there's a real talent of hurting you like wanting to hurt you and, and knowing how to hurt you and seeing blood and just lighting the fuck up. We've seen her do that so many times. When it's time to kill, it's fucking kill time for her. I don't know if Kovalkiewicz has that. She's got this steamroll you approach. It's not a scalpel. You know what I mean? Like, Joanna is, is the scalpel. She She's going to find the spot and hit it. And she's good at it. And I do think she had an off night against Letourneau, but... It, the last, the, the Gedalia match is, is undeniable. What a fucking performance, right? Just didn't give a fuck what happened to her. Just kept on coming and chopping and coming. It, like, it, it was really good. It's really special. And you don't see that kind of performance out of men or women. Um, Joanna, you know, that retirement thing that we read today. For, <laughs> ugh, I, I don't, please, don't talk about Don't say the R word out loud. I hate that, but... She's not going anywhere, dude. She's not going anywhere. She's she's head and shoulders above these chicks. She, she her her toughest test. She's passed twice, and 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 Kovalkiewicz is not the toughest test. She would be if she had head movement, but she's lacking head movement, and lacking head movement in this fight is death. Uh, I don't think Joanna knocks her out because this bitch is tough as hell. But man, she puts a drubbing on her like she really beats her face up. There would be calling. For, there would be people calling for this fight to be stopped for sure. This is gonna be bad. It's just. It's just too. It's just too right out there. It's just a super accurate hard puncher against a person who's just fucking hit me. You know what I mean? She's walking around going, "Hit me, hit me, hit me." Okay. Well, many people can hit you, and you can walk through it and bust them up. And I really appreciate that. I like that, but. Sooner or later, people who do that walk into somebody who you can't walk through all that and be okay. And this is the time. She can't walk through all this and be okay. That's what happens. Well said, man. Now, next up, the co-main event of the evening. Steven Wonderboy Thompson is minus 200. The UFC world champion, Tyron Woodley, is plus 170, Sean. Um, you know, here's my thing, man. Why do you keep on saying the UFC world champion? It sounds like you're surprised that this is true. Yeah. I, it is a little surprising, isn't it? It's kind of weird, right? I am surprised, man. That's I mean, right. They're... You get beat by Jake Shields. That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Nate Markor and Rory. But, you know, everyone's got to take that first, second, and third loss, right? <laughs> but, uh, That's right. But, uh, you know, I was at Wonder Boys fight versus Matt Brown. And, you know, and people actually use that fight in their breakdowns to say, to address his, the holes in his game. But, like, if you watch... Steven weigh in in that fight, then you watch him weigh in in the Rory fight. It's like a completely different guy. Like, he's put on size and also his skills, man. I mean, he's really, you know, all the work he's been doing with Chris Weidman, it's been paying dividends because now you can't take this dude down. In fact, he'll reverse the takedowns and he'll get on top of you. It's like his grappling 
is really damn good. It's not he's not just a striker. This guy can grapple too. I mean, escaped all the, you know, leg locks from Rory McDonald, got up from the takedown against Johnny Hendricks, took down Jake Ellenberger. That's all the proof I need that this dude's improved his grappling. Now, here's the big the big intangible. You know, on paper, Stephen Thompson should win this fight, right? But as Tyron Woodley said, and as many people have said, fights are not contested on paper. What Tyron Woodley brings to the table is something that not a lot of people have. I mean, he's a tactical freak athlete. His ability to close the distance is unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you watch that Carlos Condit fight, that big overhand right he landed there. It would have knocked out anyone else in that division at that time. Condit just had, you know, the best pound-for-pound -pound chin. But uh, anyone else would have not survived that punch. I mean, Robbie Lawler couldn't survive it. Lots of dudes can't survive it. So... You know, Woodley lands that big punch, and it's over for Stephen Thompson. And also, Stephen, he fights with his hands down, man. I know it's part of the karate style, and he usually does it when he's out of, you know, out of range. But, dude, you know how it goes in this game. You fight with your hands down for too long, you're going to get caught. Now, I've been with Wonderboy for a long time, man. You know, I've been on him in almost all of his UFC fights. Uh, I've been on... You know, it's funny, when I bet on him against Johnny, people were giving me shit, like, saying I'm a bandwagon fan and this and that, and, you know, you cash a plus 120 there, then you cash another, you know, plus 100 against Rory. But in this spot, man, it, it's a tough one. You know, you could watch the Rory versus Tyron fight and say, oh, it's going to go down like that, but what if it doesn't, Sean? What if Tyron lets his hands go this time? Now, one, you know, one way of thinking is that, look, Tyron only has that big right. So, Steven, you know, just... You know, circle to to your right, to his to Tyron's left, and avoid it. Right, he's probably going to be circling to his right a lot. But, dude, uh, what if Tyron Woodley's left hand is just as good as as his right hand, and we haven't seen it yet? You know, that could he could definitely have a good left hook too. It's not just the big right hand. One one fundamental difference between T Wood and Johnny Hendricks, you know, besides the whole USADA thing, is that. Tyron Woodley. Boy actually addressed the fact that he's fighting a karate guy. He's brought in very high level guys. Now, you know, I'm friends with some people in, in Rufus Sport. I heard about some of the guys he brought in. I'm not allowed to mention them by name, but all I can say is Tyron Woodley brought in some world class karate guys for this camp. And I'm not just talking about Sage Northcutt, okay? I'm talking real world class guys that can emulate that style. So it's gonna, you know, he's gonna have some kind of preparation going into this. And I hear T Wood's the kind of guy that doesn't leave any stone unturned. So, on paper, Wonder Boy should win. I mean, you know, he's just impossible to hit, and even though that's not true, you know what I mean? But for the most part, he's impossible to hit. But, man, when the champ is plus 170, he's being counted out like that, and he brings his tactical freak athleticism to the table, I don't blame anyone for taking this shot, Sean. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't either. I, I like... Woodley to win this fight. Um, you're going to break this fight down. I think how Wonderboy wins is probably pretty simple, right? Like, <clears throat> he's got to be Wonderboy for a while. He's got to wait until, you know, he tires Woodley out a little bit, gets him to deep water. He, he avoids big punches early. He stops a couple takedowns. And when Woodley starts to slow down, he starts working some crazy kicks and doing Wonderboy things. I, I, I totally see that happening. He could also land a sharp counter with Woodley on the way in and, and hit him once and get him out of there. It's not like uh, Woodley's defense is impenetrable, and it's not like he's, you know, got a Carlos Condit chin. You know, he's, he's hurtable in his own right. But just like any crazy style that comes to the UFC and just like any guy who's the, you know, it's, it's the Machida era, like, they get figured out, man. They get figured out, especially if they're a specialist. It's like you can figure them out. You can get to them. The kind of things that that beat 
guy, a, a guy like Wonder Boy, in my opinion, is is a blitz kind of guy. Like you can't you can't play an outside game like Rory does and 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 try to pick shots against them and try to do what he does. That's a, that's a recipe for a loss. That's not a good idea. Um, you can't give up on takedowns if he if he stops a couple. You got to keep trying them. Um, but I think the best thing to do is is stay far enough away and 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 don't exchange until it's time to jump in and, and kill. And when you go for it, you better fucking go for it. The problem with Woodley is in, in the past when you know, despite all these great things that he does, you know, you had to worry about him staring, right? You had to worry about Woodley being a staring contest and not doing what Woodley's supposed to do. I think the idea of him when he bumped off uh, Lawler, I think that's gone now. I think he believes himself completely now. I think being around the legend Robbie Lawler at, at camp forever and hearing about this guy forever and then finally getting a chance uh, to fight him and then uh, crushing him like early with one punch, I think that's a big deal. I think Woodley goes into this fight thinking, ooh, I can do that to anyone. And I'm not going to stand around and wait forever. I'm going to stand around and wait for the perfect shot. And then when, I, when I'm going to go, when I pull the trigger, is the pain is coming for sure. And, and he believes that he can get anybody with that. And he probably can get anybody with that. Um, as you know, that kind of blitz... Uh, a far lesser, slower, less explosive, whiter guy <laughs> nailed nailed Wonder Boy. Ellenberger nailed Wonder Boy and hurt him with the same kind of punch that that Woodley can land. Uh, I don't think that he can eat Woodley's. I think there's more coming right afterwards. You know his follow up shots are fucking horrible. Ask Josh Kotschek. Um That Ellenberger. Yeah, they're horrible. Like, if he hurts you, you're getting four more real hard, real fast. That's happening. So, you know, if if Woodley landed the shot that Ellenberger uh, landed, then that fight would have been stopped immediately, I think. He would have finished him right away. So you've got that. You've got, you know, now I think the idea of, of Woodley doing nothing is, is probably gone. Um, you know... The best thing he can do is probably fake that punch and, and, and land an early takedown. It doesn't even matter what happens after the takedown. Just finish the takedown. Make him think. You know what I mean? Establish that takedown real early. I, I think that's the most important thing he can do. Then he can strike from there. Um, just don't, don't get into pick-and-poke point exchanges with him. That's a horrible idea. And, you know... Let's let's be honest. Wonder Boy has never seen anything close to Woodley. It's definitely the biggest, fastest, most athletic guy. I mean, the blackest. Let's be honest. Like he's got not Nashawn Burrell is the black guy that he's fought in MMA ever. So you know, this is a step up from that. This is a this is an archetype that he's never dealt with, and he's probably fighting the the pinnacle of that archetype in this fight. This is a super dangerous fight against a super dangerous guy who's got that belt and he does not want to let it go. And he said multiple times he doesn't he he doesn't like Wonder Boy. He's going to try to hurt Wonder Boy. And and you know, on paper, Wonder Boy can avoid that and piece him up and take him deep and stop him once he gets tired cuz we know he gets tired. 
but like you said, that's on that's on paper. I, I like Woodley. I like that blitz. I like him by knockout. Man, one thing about this fight is no matter who wins it, it's going to be an absolutely brutal finish. I believe either way it goes, you know, someone's getting knocked the fuck out and it's going to be on a highlight reel for years to come. Now, if Steven Thompson wins this fight, he's going to put on an absolute show. You know, he's going to be looking unbelievable. It's going to be like unlike any people have ever seen because, you know, with Woodley, when he has been criticized, it is for the staring that, you know, you mentioned Maybe that's over now. Maybe that's behind him. Maybe he does have the confidence of a world champion now. But if Steven starts getting off on those strikes, Woodley's going to look real bad. Conversely, if uh, Woodley drops him with that big right hand or maybe a left hook, that's going to look really bad for Wonder Boy. So regardless, I think there's going to be a violent finish here. But man, something about that plus 170, dude. You know, it's like it should be closer in this spot. So I don't blame anyone for taking that shot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait a little bit here, but I, I might have to play this, dude. Do it. The main event of the evening, Connor the Notorious McGregor. He's minus 160. Eddie the Underground King Alvarez is plus 140. Man, I love this fight a lot. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people are still talking shit about Connor McGregor. Not that their opinion really matters, but, you know, they're still saying shit like, Oh, he didn't really earn his title shot, you know, even though he beat Max Holloway, knocked out Dustin Poirier, knocked out Chad Mendes, and then knocked out the great Jose Aldo. Even, even though he, he did all that, you know, he didn't really earn his title shot. I mean, I don't know what else you have to do. And then people are like, oh, but he beat Seaver to get a title shot, when in actuality, he beat Dustin Poirier in the first round to get a title shot. And then, if you recall, he beat Dustin Poirier in September, and then in October... Jose Aldo had a fight scheduled against Chad Mendes, and Conor McGregor sat in the first row. He was going to fight the winner of that fight, but it ended up being a five-round war. Jose, you know, you, you remember what his face looked like after that fight, and plus he only fights once a year anyways. You know, he had to take some time off. So Conor, you know, if you understand business, you understand the fact that Conor was like, look, man, I'm an active fighter. I want to keep fighting. I don't want to wait, you know, another six months to a year for Jose to be ready. It was another year because, you know, Jose pulled out. So he's like, look, I don't want to wait another six months to a year for Jose to be ready to fight me. So what I want to do is, look, just give me a fight to stay active. You know, let me crush this can real quick. And then I'll turn around and fight Jose. And that's exactly what happened. People are like, he got his title shot by beating Dennis Seaver. It's like, shut the fuck up. Do you understand how business works? But look, the business shit has nothing to do with... uh breaking down the fight but i just thought it was important to bring that to the table because it's like like are you not connecting the dots here i mean that's what happened that's just makes it makes fucking sense to me and i'm not trying to be like oh but i'm the guy with a business degree i'm not i'm not even trying to fucking go there it's just common sense man you know what i mean but anyways as far as this matchup look you know what we gotta look out for with eddie alvarez i mean the guy's got extreme extreme durability i mean he's known for getting dropped early in a lot of his fights and then he never gets knocked out. I mean, last time he got knocked out, but it was Nick Thompson, who you know, big 170-pounder back in the day. And uh, besides that, he hasn't been knocked out. I mean, fucking Mike Chandler fucked him up that first time they fought. Dude, if he does a chicken dance like that in the first round against Connor, it's going to be good night, Irene. Now, I heard some people saying Connor's power is not going to translate at 55, which I think is total horseshit because, look, man, he's not cutting the extreme weight that he was cutting at 145, which already there, I mean, did you see what he did to Jose Aldo, Dustin Poirier, Chad Mendes, and everyone else he fought? And then at 170, he goes in there against Diaz, and people are downplaying, you know, the size thing, because, you know, Connor said, you know, I fought a man three times the size of me. Yeah, it's a figure of speech, 
duh. You know, it's like he didn't actually fight a guy three times the size of him. I mean, that's just an expression. That's how you talk. So he moved up to 175 to fight Nate. And, I mean, Nate's a big 55-er. And at, you know, 170, when Nate doesn't have to cut those extra 15 pounds, he can absorb a shot a lot better. But let's not act like Nate didn't get dropped three times in that fight. And what I really like... It's not just the fact that he got dropped. I love how Connor sets up that left hand, you know. It's not just a triple jab cross. You know, it's he's got broken rhythms in there. You know, you, you know, if you're counting, you know, I'm a drummer, so I know about counting and if you're counting it, you know, one, two, three, four, with the first three being the jab and the four being the cross, Connor doesn't even fuck around like that. For him it's one, two, a three. You know, that's the rhythm he brings to the table. So you're basically going jab, 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 cross. So that's how he does shit. That's his fucking rhythm when he's throwing that uh, triple jab cross. And then if he's just throwing the one-two, it's not one-two. It's one-da-da. So this dude's rhythms in there, they're absolutely unbelievable. And he can knock out anyone in the world. As we've seen with Eddie, it's about, you know, is he going to be able to take the big shot here? Now, it's not just the left-hand shot, even though that is... Connor's big weapon, but I mean, if one of those spinning heel kicks hits you on the chin, that's gonna hurt too. The thing we gotta worry about with Connor is, you know, the same shit we've always had to worry about with Connor. If someone gets on top of him, even though the fight doesn't end there, you remember Chad getting on top of him, Connor was able to get back up to his feet, even escaped an alpha male guillotine in that fight. With Eddie, he does have a good grinding style, you know, the Pettis fight was good evidence of that, but I actually think that Connor's distance management, as it, you know, it's a big factor in all of his fights, it's gonna be a huge one here, man. I think he's going to keep the distance where he wants it. There's a big speed difference. He's going to be able to hurt Eddie. Now it's about can Eddie come back and, you know, make it a brawl where, you know, technique doesn't matter, where they're both tired and Eddie can thrive in those deep waters. It's about can it get that far. I don't think it will, Sean. I think he's going to put away the underground king, the undisputed UFC lightweight champion, Eddie Alvarez. I think Connor's going to knock him out, man. And uh, minus 160, not a big fan of the price. But, you know, let's see if, uh, you know, Eddie's really fucking confident going into this fight. But at the same time, it's not the confidence that I would want to put my money behind because, you know, he's another one of these guys that... He thinks it's a game, and when all these guys think it's a game against Connor, they don't realize that this is a serious fucking fighter you're going up against. This isn't a joke. The only dude that realized it wasn't a game was Nate Diaz, man. I mean, Nate, you know, people think that uh, Nate was disrespecting him, but he wasn't at all. Nate knew what was at stake. He knew how dangerous Connor was, and he approached the fight accordingly. With Eddie, he's one of these guys like Aldo that thinks, oh, McGregor's a, a joker and this and that. And when you start thinking like that, dude, you're going to wake up looking at the lights. And uh, I got Conor McGregor by knockout. He will be the first man in UFC history to hold two belts in two separate divisions simultaneously and new. You know, it's tough to go against that, but I am. Haha, <laughs> totally am. I think that... Um you're right. The Connor striking is, is just better. The straight left hand is better. He does follow you down with that jab and, and land that straight left. And it's super sharp and it's very accurate. Um, and he's got other skills too. He just added that, that leg kick. Uh, the spinning kicks are kind of like every time he throws one, I'm like, why are you bothering? Just punch. But Sean, they're can, pretty can good. I cut you off? Sorry. I'm glad you brought up that leg kick. And to me, it's not just the fact that he added the leg kick. It's the fact that he game planned. He, you know, he didn't just rely on yep. his ability of, oh, this guy can't take my left-hand shot just like everyone can't take my left-hand shot. In that specific fight, he realized that, look, Nate might not get knocked out, so I got to be able to address this guy's weakness and fight smart. That was a big sign of maturity in his game, in my opinion. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's where I was going next with this was I shit on him for being a quitter. I shit on his coach for never having put together a game plan that we've seen happen and work before. Um, I shit on him for being one note and all those things were wrong. Not, not only like I've always been a fan of the dude, you know what I mean? Like he's, he's great, but he got that much greater. Like he reversed the whole situation. He did do something different. I was like, he is this guy. He is not that guy. He is the guy that he needs to be to win. Um, and he was that guy that night. He landed like kicks that set up punches. Uh, he he worked a game plan he calmed himself down and it and it and it worked and he had an opportunity to quit and he didn't and he came back the next round and you know that's a tall order for anybody not anybody does that that's that's great he, he is great uh, win or lose this fight he's great but you know what didn't go away the cardio the cardio is a problem uh the cardio for him due to his style will probably always be a problem. Uh, as far as the 55, I think he's probably suited best to be at 55. I think he'll look better at 55 than he did at 45 or 70, uh, which also adds up for a tall order for Eddie. Um, but I think that Eddie is so confident and, and thinks he can win this fight because of that Mendez fight. The times that Connor got up were because... Mendez went for that guillotine over and over again, and he did it in the same way, and there wasn't much setup to it. It was pretty fucking sloppy, actually. Uh, you, you're not going to catch a super good guy with that. He, he, you can catch like amateurish guys with that, but that's not that's not good. That wasn't good, and that's what let him up. But when he wasn't doing that, what he was doing was staying on top and landing elbows at will. Uh, I really do think Eddie can push him to the cage. excuse me, can punch his way into the clinch, can push him to the cage, can keep on trying for takedowns and keep on trying for takedowns, get some, maybe not get some, but about seven to nine minutes in or so when Connor's slowing down, those takedowns will happen. And once Eddie gets on top and establishes that position, he too will land elbows and land punches at will. And Eddie can stay there and do that repeatedly. I, I, I've seen Eddie have cardio problems, and then I've seen him be um, a cardio monster before, too. He, he can do both. He can take an, an amazing amount of punishment. That shot that, that, that fucked him up, um, that Melendez landed, that was a good shot. Holy shit. I'm, I'm really surprised he ate that. There was a couple against Chandler that I was surprised that he ate as well. Um, does that mean he can eat Connor straight left? Fucking, I don't really know to tell you the truth. I don't. I don't think many people can. Um, but if he does, and he does weather the storm, and he does survive, and he gets to that seven to nine minute mark when things even out and those powers is gone out of those punches, Connor's going to be having those Nate flashbacks because Eddie's going to be right there in his face coming after him. But it's not going to be more punches exchanges that give Connor a chance to punch back. It's going to be grind you out pedestal take you down and get you there and when you're on top punch 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 i think eddie does that i think he weathers the storm i think he drags him down to the ground and stays on top and eventually maybe late round four early five i think connor turtles does not punch back and the ref stops in for a tko 
Yeah, well, if you're playing Eddie, you better hope that he can get past, you know, that first uh, round and a half. Because if he does, who knows? Maybe he can do what you said he's going to do. Now, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, but Connor lost to Nate Diaz, who's a 500 lightweight. And it's like, well, do you understand why people say that styles make fights? All the dudes that have, beat, that have beaten Nate Diaz, aside from Conor McGregor, they all beat him via wrestling. And I know someone's going to bring up the Josh Thompson fight. Look, man, that fight, go watch that. That was a fucking anomaly. It's not like Josh was whooping his ass and then knocked him out. Josh was fucking running away and then closed his eyes and threw a head kick and got lucky. You know, props to him. But all the guys that beat Nate Diaz, they beat Wait, him. you don't think Thompson was kicking the shit out of him? No, not at all, man. I thought he was fucking running away and trying to avoid thought... the fight completely. I thought Thompson brutalized him. Well, That's the, weird the, that we the, have such differing opinions. The on finish, it. the finish, he brutalized. No, him. before the finish too, just fucking trucking him. Uh, that wasn't like I don't think that wasn't the, the shot fight. that ended the. That wasn't the shot that ended the fight. That was like the coup de gras to the 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 fucking ass whooping he was putting on him. I don't recall there being ass whooping at all. I recalled it being like, you know, fucking Nate lost his concentration after trying to chase down this dude and fucking taunt him the entire time. And he got caught. Props to Thompson. Vet move. But all the other guys that beat Nate, they beat him via grappling. Now, with Connor, you know, he didn't fucking try to take down Nate and try to hump his leg and, you know, win out of, uh, squeak out a decision. He fought. Nate Diaz. When people fight the Diaz brothers, they don't often win. And when I say fight, I don't just mean step inside the octagon. I mean actually try to get into a stand-up fight with them. And uh, Connor did that. And, you know, styles make fights. You know, if Eddie fought Nate, he'd probably try to take him down. You know, he'd, he'd do the thing that all these grapplers do. But fucking, if you have the balls to stand with the Diaz brother, I mean, that says a lot because that's when the Diaz brothers do their best. And Connor did that, man. So that's my whole I thing to the, oh, he lost to a 500 lightweight, you know? I can I can clearly tell you uh, that I'm uh, that I'm pretty goddamn sure that Joanne is going to win this fight. I can't I can't take the same thing with with Alvarez. You know what I'm saying? Like the Connor just coming at Alvarez and getting him out of there in the first round is, it, it, you know, not only is it possible, but it might be the most likely situation. You know what I'm saying? Like he's a hittable dude. He's a hurtable dude, definitely. But there's something about him. He's just it's just all guts with him you know what i'm saying he's he wants to survive and when he survives it's it's a different story after he survives that he's coming after you you know what i mean you really gotta fucking take him out you really gotta separate this dude from his senses to 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 beat him you know you know he's really um, good at separating dudes from their senses i mean you gotta fucking separate jose aldo from his senses that dude's a gamer i mean you've seen all oh, his yeah. fights. you don't just fucking beat jose aldo and he's had to dig deep in fights before Dustin Poirier, you don't just beat that guy either. And, I mean, Connor slept them like it was no one's business. And he was the first man to sleep both of those guys. This is, Yeah, this line is probably accurate. You know what I mean? This line's probably accurate. It might not play out looking accurate because if, if, if Eddie gets on top and, and, and stays there, it's going to look like a drubbing. And if Connor ends it in one, it's going to look like a drubbing. But the line's basically accurate. You know what I mean? I think connor should win this there's just something telling me that that eddie guts this out and imposes as well eddie is known for weathering storms but he has to weather the storm of storms to win this fight and if he does yeah. you know props to him but i believe connor mcgregor will create history this saturday in new york city at madison square garden sean yeah uh, true I, I i i agree all right, well, Sean, let's talk about some of these early prelims, man. And going to the front of the card, we got Caitlin Chukagian. She's minus 170. The comeback on Liz Carmouche is plus 150. 
Caitlin Chukagan, she's a really good Mark Henry point striker. Great side-to-side -side footwork, a constant jab and movement. She sets up her kicks properly and blinds your face when throwing the inside kick. Decent head movement. She can be pushed up against the fence, but she stays calm. She's also, you know, I believe a good striker will be able to exploit the fact that, you know, Caitlin throws that rear uppercut without setting it up, but I highly doubt Liz can exploit that. Caitlin loves when fighters get desperate from her volume and then they start charging her. That's where she really shines the most with her straight and accurate counters. She also has a very good wide base when people try to take her down, but she doesn't show any urgency to swim for the underhooks. Off her back, she plays with the high guard, but isn't necessarily as threatening as she is on the feet. This is the area that a good grappler can expose if they were to defeat her. Kaylin is putting in the work with the right people to address the weaknesses in her game. Kaylin also doesn't get discouraged. You know, the fight's been tied one-to-one -one going into the third round, and she's came back to win. That's very important when it comes to betting on a fighter. A close decision in this spot is going to go to Chukagian for sure. Now, as far as Liz Carmouche is concerned, obviously, she's a women's MMA vet. She goes for takedowns from everywhere, whether it's shooting from completely outside of range or being clinched up against the fence. Never forget the famous back take against Ronda Rousey. You know, that's the kind of veteran stuff that she can pull out. And one shot at a time on the feet, which is no match for Chukagian in that department. So it all comes down to, can Liz implement her grappling or not? I believe she won't, you know for enough time to win the fight. So I do believe Chukagan is going to pick her apart and win a unanimous decision, Sean. Well, I already talked about Tickled, so I don't, I don't want to talk about Tickled again. But it is worth talking about twice, but I'll leave it. Um, you know, I looked at this fight. I, I looked at betting Carmouche just because simply just aggression, just coming forward, just sometimes that's enough in, in women's fighting. And Chukagan was that like a Holly home light type performance that she put on or were we supposed to be sold on her as good because of that? I don't know why, you know what I mean? Like what did, I don't know. I didn't take anything from that. Who cares? That, that was nothing. So, you know, that against aggression, another girl who's not great, but would you be surprised if Carmouche just kept on coming forward and eventually got there and did what she wanted to do? You know what I mean? Are we sold on, Chukagan having some some home Holly home type game a real one I don't I don't think so so that 160 looks pretty good but then I looked a little bit deeper and I realized that these are two chicks so I was like oh <laughs> fuck that <laughs> yeah I mean I understand both sides of the coin here because with Caitlin you know she's an up-and-comer you know, oftentimes people do look better in their second UFC appearance. She's training with Mark Henry, great training partners as well. So she has to be improving, and she listens to her corner, which is important. And with Liz, you got to make the argument that, you know, she can get the fight up against the fence, maybe take her back. So I see avenues for both, but at the end of the day, Caitlin Chukagan will be a unanimous decision. Now, Sean, before we get out of here, man, Rafael Sapo Natal is minus 155, and Tim Bosch is plus 135. Now, i got to say, man, I was very impressed with Rafael Natal in his fight against Robert Whitaker. You know, going into that fight, I thought that Robert Whitaker was going to knock him out in the first round. And even though Whitaker clearly won the fight, he won every aspect of the fight, Rafael Natal, not only did he show a very good chin, but he also had very hard leg kicks. And I mean, you know, if you're able to land those leg kicks on a guy like Whitaker who does check kicks, that's a, that's a big sign, you know, of your timing and that you are getting better as a fighter. You know, with Natal, he's always been a very solid guy that can beat... You know, lots of dudes at, towards the middle tier of that weight class. You know, he beat Uriah Hall, had the good fight with Whitaker. He's also taken his licks, too. You know, he's lost to Tim Kennedy, 
He knows what it's like to lose and rebound. With Tim the Barbarian Bush, I mean, it's pretty much the same thing every time. You know, he comes out, throws big bombs. You know, he can wrestle certain dudes. Back in the day, he used to have these big judo throws. I don't know if you recall that Nick Ring fight back in the oh, day. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, this dude can judo throw guys. And, you know, obviously the infamous uppercuts from the clinch. But, uh, you know, I think Tim Bosch is, even though they're both kind of getting up there in age, I think Tim Bosch has been the one steadily declining more. And, you know, I don't put much stock into his fight against uh, Josh the Man because, look, man, at the time, uh, you know, you remember how Josh the Man would just, like, he would he knocked out Truck Gord and then he tapped out Kyle Magalies and then all of a sudden he just looked completely different? You know, I, I thought, I was like, oh, man, this guy must be off steroids now. But then we, we found out it was something else. That's why, you know, he aged so quickly. And I think that's why a guy like Tim Bush was able to beat him. But I don't think Rafael Natal has any of those kind of problems. I think Rafael is going to come out looking solid. And I think he's going to win this. But my only concern, the same angle we've been using all these times, even though his last fight wasn't a title fight, to him it might have been. Because if he would have went out there and beat Whitaker, I mean, that would have propelled his career to the next level. So, you know, is it, you know, is he coming back and isn't as motivated anymore? But if he's at peak motivation i think he wins this fight and he should be i mean he's a new york guy fighting in new york so you know i think he's going to show up and win the fight but obviously we always got to look out for the knockout power with tim bush especially in that second and third round so i wouldn't be surprised if bush got it done i know a lot of smart people that i respect are actually taking the shot on tim bush but i'm going to go with Rafael sapo natal here sean you know there's no better way to end this great podcast with the climax that is Natal versus Bosch. This is a perfect way to end it. Jesus Christ. So who's going to win this fight? I don't know. Who the fuck knows? How would you know? Like, how does anybody know? You ever watch a, a Sapo Natal fight and just wonder, hey, why isn't the guy fighting Sapo Natal just kicking the shit out of Sapo Natal? You know what I mean? Like, he's just standing there. He's not doing anything. Everything he does is, is telegraphed. Like, he, he yells at you and tells you he's about to do it, whatever it is. It, he's a really weird fighter. I don't know how many, how he's put so many wins together. It, well, I kind of do know. He's one of those guys that imposes his pace on you, and he's real herky-jerky, and, and the shit is unorthodox. And just when you think he's about to do one thing that's real sloppy and weird, he does a different thing that's real sloppy and weird. He does that repeatedly. Um, and, and sometimes he just outworks you with this shit when you're waiting for that perfect time to hit him. Um, you know, I think Natal can win this fight. I would say by, by takedown and then get on top and I, you know, his jujitsu game, in my opinion, is way better. Uh, taking Tim Boach down is no easy feat though. And on the other hand, could you see Tim Boach putting him up against the cage and hitting him with those uppercuts? Yeah. Could you see him hitting him in open space and knocking him out? Yeah. Could you see uh, Natal throwing the sloppiest spinning back fist that lands halfway up on your forearm on, on Boach's head, knocking it off? Yeah. Like, who knows? Just stay away completely. You can't even play the total here. And I think the total is one and a half, isn't it? Wow, that's a good question. And I'm about to it tell is. You. I think it's one and a half. I don't even. I can't even tell there. Like at first glance, I'm like, oh, fucking one and a half. Yeah, Holy it's going shit. over one and a half. It is one and a half, but it's right. fucking minus one eighty five for the over. Fuck but that. But still, I you look at that and you go, yeah, it's going over one and a half because they're gonna do goofy shit or do nothing for one and a half before anything happens at all, and then you know what, this is the exact kind of fight where something retarded happens right in the beginning. You know what I mean? You got to completely avoid this fight, run from it. And, you know, if you're smart, don't watch it. 
like talk to your friends who are over watching the fight during this <laughs> fight because they they don't want to watch it either. It's not going to be a watchable fight. It's not good. I don't even know why it's on this card. Watch it but, be like uh, a vicious like fucking Anthony Hamilton versus Damian right. Grabowski 13 second knockout. But it could too. Or it could be a, like a three round bloodbath, right? It could be anything. You know what I mean? But it's probably going to be nothing. <laughs> it's probably going to be bad. But you know, Natal has kind of like worked this weird, like soft spot into my heart, just being this kind of goofy, unskilled dude who, <laughs> who finds finds ways of beating Uriah Hall. You know what I mean? Like by low blowing four seconds in the fight. But hey, yeah, whatever it takes, man. That's cool, man. Yeah, that's cool. He's like, you get a warning. I can't really do much, but I can sure as shit kick you right in the nuts. And yeah, he does. He does kick you in the nuts. And I, I was a huge, huge, huge bet on. Uh, not the hugest, but a pretty a seven unit bet on uh, Whitaker and Jones, and I had these thoughts all day of that fight of of Natal throwing a spinning back fist and knocking Whitaker out, and I was watching that fight with the tightest butthole ever, <laughs> waiting for that to happen, and it, you know, thankfully it didn't happen. And remember, Whitaker hurt his hand; it wasn't knocking him out, and I'm like, spinning back fist, it's coming coming and you know he won and i wasn't scared and i felt stupid but i don't know i like Natal. go for it dude win this fight get get rid of boach send him out of here and man i can't wait to break down whitaker's next fight that's gonna be really fun to talk about and dude before we get out of here the fight to watch and the fighter to watch so sean carey what is the fight to watch at ufc 205 there's so many um the fight to watch I got to go with the, you know, I hate to do it, but I got to go with the main event. I got to go with Connor and Alvarez. I think, I think this really has what it takes to be as exciting as Connor and Nate fights. You know what I mean? Like it can, it can be that it can be Connor looking like Connor and Eddie being done. And then Eddie pulling some miraculous shit out of his, out of his ass and then completely turning the momentum and, and, you know, fights like that are always super fun. I think this could be that. So that is the fight to watch. Not going to disagree with you there. You know, obviously you could mention Edgar versus Stevens. Anytime Frankie Edgar or Jeremy Stevens steps inside the octagon, it's usually legendary, man. And, and same with Donald Cowboy Cerrone versus Kelvin Gastelum. But you know what, man? I'm going to go with Chris Weidman versus Yoel Romero. I mean, anytime Yoel Romero fights, crazy shit happens. Anytime Chris Weidman fights, Crazy shit happens. I mean, the dude's knocking out Anderson Silva. Then he's breaking his leg. Then he's fucking outpointing Machida for five rounds, stopping Vitor Belfort in the first round, throwing spinning wheel kicks in the third round. I mean, the dude just has the wildest fights. I love watching Weidman. I love watching Yoel Romero. You know, if Chris wins this fight, this is a big deal. To win in your hometown, MSG, that'll get him that title shot versus Bisbing. Conversely, Yoel Romero wins this fight. That'll be, uh, what, eight wins in a row? I mean, you cannot deny him a title shot. Winner of this fight will fight Michael Bisping next. So, therefore, Weidman versus Romero is your fight to watch for UFC 205. Now, Sean, who is the fighter to watch? Who, who is the fighter to watch? Come back to me. Who's your fighter to watch? My fighter to watch is Michael Johnson. I mean, this is a monumental opportunity to be the first guy to defeat 
the undefeated Khabib Nurmagomedov, you know, not just in his MMA career, but more importantly, in his UFC career when Khabib, you know, he's currently ranked as the number one lightweight on planet Earth. That's the deepest division in the UFC. Michael Johnson's number five. If Michael Johnson can go out there and beat him, he might be right up there for a title shot. I mean, this is the only guy to defeat Tony Ferguson inside the UFC, and he might become the only man to defeat Khabib Nurmagomedov in the UFC as well. He gets this victory. Yeah, it's bright skies for Michael Johnson. He is your fighter to watch, and a plus 240 underdog, my lord. Oh, I should have stole that. That should have been mine. Um, I will go with Joanna instead. I think, wow. you know, I know oh. I, hate, I, I hate girls' fights. <laughs> is this fights, Sean but Carey tattoo? I know. It's so weird. I hate girl fights, but this is like... But not this one. She is the reason why you watch fighting. People like her, like just a, a machine, just somebody really mean who really like takes pleasure in hurting people and and does it really well. She's <laughs> super fun to watch, even though she's a girl fighting another girl, which usually goes poorly. But she's the baddest no. chick on the planet. I yeah, mean, dude, she's always she, fun, is, man. Is she gonna beat uh, Ronda's title defense record? I believe she's only two away, so she got to beat Carolina and Jessica Andrade, which. Those are the two baddest girls at 115, not named Joanna, in my opinion. Yeah, she's going to kill them both. She's going to kill them both because she has something that they don't have. Just special, elite-level talent. And there's going to be more girls with special, elite-level talent coming. But at 115, she's she's the one. She's the only one. There's some good ones, but not like her. You are correct. And, dude, I mean, I think that wraps it up. We've been going for a while. I mean, this weekend is going to be absolutely historic. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to check out this very special UFC 205 edition of Half the Battle. It's been an absolute pleasure. Sean, let them know where to follow you, man. You can follow me at Sean Carey Tattoo on Twitter and the same on Instagram if you actually want to see my tattoos. And I have eight bets up for this event, uh, some some dogs, some parlays, some good stuff. And if you sign up for that, I also have, I think, two bets for, for UFC 207, a bet for 206, a bet for the next Bellator. They're, they're all on there. So once you sign up, uh, I have to lock them in at the numbers I get them. So they're on there. So if you sign up for 205, you get those too. So just go ahead and do that. Do that right now, matter of fact. <laughs> and you can check out my plays at bestfightpicks.com. You can follow me on Twitter at bestfightpicks. Make sure you subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Guys, keep hooking up the subscriptions, the likes, the retweets, the everythings, man, the five-star reviews. It absolutely means the world to us. And, you know, thank you, everyone, for the amazing response to bringing Sean Carey to the show. I'm, I'm stoked you guys enjoyed it. And, uh, shit, man, we're going to keep doing it up. What's the next fight? We got uh, our boy Albert Morales is fighting our other boy, Tomas Almeida. That's, that's going to be wild while it lasts, man. Cannot wait to talk about that. But until the next time, let's cash these bets. Yeah.